to I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur, also known as Sabermetrics. My name is Sierra. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Dustin. My pronouns are he, they. And this podcast is a sincere and critical examination of the Fate series, starting with Fate Stay Night. And we have just finished up the last three days of Unlimited Blade Works, the second route in Fate Stay Night. And... <sighs> Tech... Technically, two days, 15 and 16. I guess you could count the epilogue as, as its own day. Uh, you know, it felt like it took me three fucking days to read. That's how long it fucking dragged on. It is true. There is way more content here than actually Content is generous. There's way more word count. Yes, there's way more words. <laughs> content is maybe the kindest way you could phrase it. Yeah, so... There is content in the way that, like, it literally takes up megabytes on my computer. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, so, you could probably get from this intro that we weren't a fan of the finale. We weren't fans of the finale here. I don't even hate it! Like, I don't dislike it, it's just... It's like eating raw tofu. <laughs> it, it's nothing! It's not even like a marshmallow where it's sweet and like you can do something with it. Like it's devoid of all sauce and flavor. Like remember how at the end of Fate we were like, oh, you know, like it's kind of nothing, but it gives them something to build upon. Hey, what if we just did that again? But this time you've already seen it once, so it's extra nothing. Yeah, and also the nothing focuses on Shiro instead of Saber. You mean the Uh... Captain Nothing himself? Yeah, yeah, leader leader of the nothing team. Uh, all right, so let's just dive right into it here because I'm sure we're gonna have a, a bunch to say overall um, once we sort of cap, do a capstone on this thing. I mean, so, maybe. Uh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so, day fifteen. Um, if you recall, uh, last time we left off the crew. Um, Lancer, Saber, and Shiro uh, as they were heading out into the forest uh, to both save Rin and for Shiro to do his death wish thing against Archer. (laughs) Um, It is now daybreak. I'm gonna be Uh, real here. Archer waits. I think Archer's shit is like the least cool shit on the planet. I don't get why anyone fucking likes this dude. Like... Lancer's cool as fuck. Lancer rules. I I, I fucking love Lancer. And, like, Archer's shit is just, like, the lamest shit in the fucking world. It is. Archer was way more charming. uh, Well, maybe not charming, but way more entertaining in Fate when he was just kind of, like, this douchebag who means well. He was kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's kind of a troll with Rin. Uh, He's kind of a troll, but like, you know, he's he's genuinely trying to help. He's doing cool shit, and now he's just like a whiny baby man. Yeah, Unlimited Blade Works Archer is just terrible. And meanwhile, like, uh, fucking Lancer comes in, and he's just like the coolest motherfucker around. Like, fucking Lancer rules, dude. Yeah, Lancer Lancer says a thing later on in day 15 where I'm like, yeah, you know what? I would kind of like to see that version of the story. Uh, Lancer says a couple things where I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll fuck you. It's fine. It's cool. Like, (laughs) I'm not even embarrassed about it anymore. Like, yeah, dude, Lancer's just the hottest one in this fucking game. Why is there no (laughs) Lancer fucking route? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Well, I do know. It's because Nasu is too straight. Nasu is a coward is the answer. 
Nas is just too hetero. Um, so it's uh, now daybreak. Archer waits in the ruins and concentrates on maintaining his own existence. He only has a tenth of his power left, but he's confident it will be enough to kill his past self. Unfortunately for him, Shinji and Gilgamesh arrive first. Uh, Shinji tells Archer that he's... Oh, right. <sighs> Almost forgot. Before we get into this, because we have Shinji here, there's going to be some content warnings. For... Just content warning for, you know, all, all the other stuff we've done content warnings for. It's, it's sexual uh, in nature. Yeah, I, 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 I want to be clear here. Uh, there is uh, attempted and threatened sexual assault here by yes. Shinji towards Rin. Um, there is uh, women in peril being offered up to knowing sexual assault um, and various language surrounding that and similar to that. Uh, yeah. It, also, when we get to like the final day, there is some body horror stuff, but I'm not going to get into like. Yeah, we, we don't need to get into specifics so. there. The body horror stuff, we'll even get into that because as a person who like does stuff with body horror sometimes, I was even disappointed in that. Yeah, it's kind of... It's kind of nothing. It's kind of, like, boring. Let's just, let's, let's just say Nasu don't ha doesn't have shit on Araki. Yeah, uh-huh, that's true. Araki knows real fucking body horror. Uh, anyway, yeah, so... Th th yeah, just, just giving a warning, because we're about to get into this shit. Uh, so Shinji tells Archer that he's only here for Rin, and they have no reason to fight each other. Archer tells Shinji that he will give him Rin after he's killed Shiro. If they try to take her before then, Archer will kill Gilgamesh. Gil, of course, thinks that's absurd. Shinji, shockingly, is the voice of reason this time. He tells Gil not to rise to Archer's bait. Even if Archer doesn't keep his word, he'll disappear soon enough and they can take Rin then. Shinji says they'll uh, protect Rin until Archer has killed Shiro, but then he asks if he can do anything he likes to her. Archer advises Shinji that he promised Shiro she wouldn't be harmed until dawn, then he starts to leave to go meet Shiro. As he passes by Gilgamesh, Gil calls him a faker. Uh, we switch back to Shiro's perspective as he walks through the forest. He knows he'll die as soon as he starts fighting Archer, but he's not scared of that. He considers himself to already be dead. A Saber, meanwhile, is very upset that no matter who wins, an Emiya Shiro will die. In an interesting role reversal, Saber is the one who wants to stop a fight from happening, and Shiro is the one determined to see it through. Shiro finally arrives at the entrance hall of the castle where Berserker died. Archer is already there, standing at the top of the grand staircase, and chides him for being late. If it wasn't obvious to the reader now, Archer spells it out. The duplicate pendant that should not exist is one that Archer held on to throughout his life after Rin saved him from the Holy Grail War. Uh, it, uh, it is important to highlight here that that is a detail that like cements that the Shiro we follow through the story and the Shiro that Archer is are di explicitly different people because we know the yeah. Shiro that our Archer is gave that uh, uh, that the Shiro who Archer is does not know who or did not know who saved him during his life and had the pendant his whole life and our Shiro knows who saved him and has given back the pendant already. Yeah. Uh, also, even if um, you didn't pick up on the fact that Archer didn't remember who saved him, um, there are other implications throughout this day uh, that from Archer himself that 
his relationship with Rin was fundamentally different than Shiro's is on the Unlimited Blade Works, which will tie into some epilogue stuff that I have issues with, but we'll get to that. Um, so, uh, Archer warns Shiro that he has given Rin over to Shinji since he arrived first. While he told Shinji to hold off until dawn, he reasonably assumes that Shinji may not restrain himself. Man, Archer is just. I, I, I want to be clear here. This a is the real thing that, piece of shit. Uh, this is the thing that makes him irredeemable to me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, th- this is literally uh, uh, tantamount to giving somebody a uh, uh, a like free pass to, and aiding and abetting a sexual assault. Like, yeah, because uh, like here he's not even doing it to try and like do some utilitarian the needs of the many type shit like he was doing no. with Caster. Even, like, a line where he's like, oh, yeah, if I fought Gilgamesh here, I would just fucking die. Which we literally know isn't true. Because he does later and is fine. Yeah. Like, uh, it's... The ending of this wants us to be like, oh, Archer came back, yay! And it has, like, this touching moment with Rin, it's so good. And I'm like, did you forget what this piece of fucking shit did? Stab him. Stab him before yeah, he disappears. Stab him now. The stuff he does to Rin in this day is just fucking it, monstrous. It might be some of the most vile shit that happens. Like, he, he explicitly abandons her to somebody who explicitly, to his face, states he is interested in committing sexual assault. Uh, and yeah. says, yeah, that's like, fine. Shinji is not shy about being blunt about what he intends to do. I, I think that's part of what breaks... Um, this whole moment for him, or, I mean, this whole route really for me, because... It like, won't... I don't even think, Sh- like, Shiro wouldn't even let Shinji get away with that shit. No. Shiro literally doesn't let Shinji get away with that shit. Like, yeah. that's what gets him so aggro a couple of times with Shinji. Um, like, we're supposed to buy, oh yeah, this is the same person as Shiro, uh, this is the place he ends up, and like... Okay, no, I don't buy it. What? He is immediately a, an irredeemable scumfuck. Yeah, like, the the final... Both, like, the, the ending of this particular conflict, as well as the, the final part of Day 16, are gonna want us to feel good about Archer, and is going to try and convince us that, like, oh, Rin still has affection for him, and I do not buy it. Archer, after this, Archer might uh, be my most hated character. Yeah, he's awful. But, like, I, uh, I... I hate Shinji, but at least the work knows Shinji is a scumbuck who deserves to burn in hell. Yeah, yeah. The work like, doesn't pretend with Shinji. At least. I, I, I hate Gilgamesh. The work knows Gilgamesh is a piece of shit who sucks. Yeah. The Fate Stay Nights thinks... Uh, fucking Archer is redeemable. Not just redeemable, is redeemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Yeah, like, it, it, it explicit, it basically explicitly says that in the final part of the epilogue. It's just fucking... from his perspective. It's fucking disgusting, the way this, at the last three days, fucking used Rin as, like, this weird prop, um, and used sexual assault against Rin, like, this yeah. casually. Uh, Honestly, almost throughout this entire section, 
it's just Rin is treated like dog shit. Hey, remember when we were happy, like, to see these moments where Rin and Shiro were, like, developing actual intimacy and respect for one another as, like, individuals and partners? Oh, man, it just goes... Like, literally, last episode of the podcast? Just punted right out the window. Fuck that, yeah, absolutely, just gone. Yeah, what? Man, so much damage is done to that relationship um, here, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, where the hell was I? Um, all right, Lancer reassures Shiro that he'll take care of Rin, because Lancer actually is a good person. <laughs> Uh, after all, his master ordered him to make sure Rin didn't die, but l- let's be honest, Lancer would be trying to help Rin anyway. Yeah, because uh, Lancer's the coolest motherfucker in this entire game! Yeah. Uh, Shiro Lancer agrees rule- with this. Sorry, I just, I just need to take another moment here. Lancer is so cool, he is continually doing shit based on his own desires, working against, uh, a, a restrictive force that compels him to work in a way that is not how he would like to operate uh, with goals that he does not necessarily align with and still actively resisting them. Uh, He follows his own desires and acts against them, even to the point where it costs his life. Uh, And then even after it costs his life, still pushes past that to affect a change that he wants to see in the world. Like we'll get to it, but, but Lancer's final act fucking kicks ass. (laughs) I mean, like, I know I'm biased because of how much I love Kukulin just to begin with, but, like, he fucking rules, dude! <laughs> he does. I, I like Lancer a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, so as a... Not, not all men are terrible in Fate Stay Night, it turns out. We've at least got Lancer. <laughs> and Issei. Issei's fine, but he, he doesn't get to do a whole yeah, but Issei is not cool. I- Issei is, like, the opposite of cool. Issei should probably be shoved in a couple more lockers, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, I- Issei is not cool, but at least he's a good person. Mm-hmm. I would hang out <laughs> with Issei, but, like, that's not yeah. a strong support for him, because I should also have been shoved in a couple more lockers growing up. <laughs> I feel like Issei and I would have gotten along, and I'm not sure what that says about me. I, I-, I-, I mean, yeah, probably. Uh, and on the other hand, like... Lancer and I definitely would not have hung out in high school, but, like, he'd have been cool. Like, we'd have been fine. Like, we'd oh, yeah. have probably Lancer, hung out, or L- talked once or Lancer twice. Lancer would be too cool for me. Yeah, Lancer exactly. would be, like, Lancer, Lancer would be in all, like, the sports teams, and I'd be like, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but, like, there's no way you'd ever pay attention to me. Yeah, we'd have um, had, like, a group project once or twice, and we'd have been, like, super fine. He would have been chill and fun to hang out with, but, like, we wouldn't have been, like, yeah. tight. Yeah, I do like a chemistry project with him, and you know, we, we, we both we both do pretty well. We have a good rapport, but like, it doesn't really click, you know. Yeah, we're uh, yeah, we're not gonna like go to the mall why, after or whatever. Why are we just suddenly coming up with an extended high because school? Because the AU other option is talking Lancer about is fucking to our this school? visual novel, and that's a nightmare. And this is more fun. <laughs> also, it's an excuse to talk about Lancer more, who is the only good part of these three days. Oh, God. All right. Every minute we get further in this plot summary is a minute closer we get to talking about the sex scene. We have to, though. We do, and I'm mad about it. Um... Also, I, I want to just so I can get it out into the world and I'm not just s- suppressing it inside my own emotions. Um, anyway, uh-huh. uh, so... Shiro agrees with this plan. 
Uh, as Lancer turns to leave, he notices that Saber isn't moving to follow him. When he questions her, she says she's going to stay with Shiro. She feels a need to watch over the fight. Uh, Lancer leaves, and Saber promises Archer that she won't interfere. But first, she wants to know why he desires Shiro's death. Archer says he simply can't approve of Shiro. That doesn't make sense to Saber, who argues Archer's current form represents the culmination of Shiro's ideals. She asks him why he's so different. At first, he doesn't answer, but when she mentions how he became a guardian to protect people, that seems to rankle him. He says Saber is wrong about guardians. They don't protect people like the hero he once hoped to become. They're simply cleaners. In order to save people, he killed many, many others. Eventually, he became so numb to killing that he did it pragmatically, killing even the innocent in order to save a thousand times as many as he killed. No matter what he did, though, there were always new conflicts. Archer asks if sacrificing the few to save the many is not something Saber has had to do many times as king. Saber cannot object. Archer also reveals the way he died. After giving his all to stop a conflict, he was accused of starting it and was executed. He soon realized that guardians don't save people who are in despair. They kill the ones who are in despair to save the ones who are already enjoying their lives. Um, he hates being a guardian, but he's stuck in the role for eternity, unless he kills Shiro. If someone who is to become a hero is killed before that happens, that hero will never come to be. Saber argues that it won't work like that. Guardian Emiya's existence will continue even if Shiro dies. Archer agrees that may be true, but the paradox might be severe enough to wipe himself out if he is the one to kill Shiro. So, I, uh, I, I do think it is important to acknowledge here um, that uh, Archer explicitly acknowledges that he is the one who betrayed his ideals, uh, to a degree. Yes. Uh, like, fundamentally, the thing that he has to reckon with here is that he broke. Like, that, what the moment he was operating utilitarianly, uh Killing one to save a thousand is like is the moment he broke from what we know Shiro, uh, uh, Shiro Emiya, our Shiro's uh, ideals are, which are yeah, because we know because we know from Shiro's flashbacks that he's had to his to Kuritsugu is that Kuritsugu who Kuritsugu himself told Shiro that because you can't save everyone, save the people who are in front of you, or in other words, save save the people who are important to you, right? Um, and Shiro and rejects that. Yeah, and Ar Archer Shiro, Guardian Shiro, stops doing that. Well, he, he even says, specifically, uh, uh, I didn't dream of a world without conflict, I just wanted to make no one in my view cry. Like, Ar Archer Shiro had a, a weird midpoint between our Shiro and uh, Kiritsugu Emiya's uh, uh, objective as an ideal, and, like, this is, like, maybe the first moment we get. Like, hey, they, they are the same person, but their ideals are still, like, subtly different with some degree of nuance. Anyway, obviously they don't do anything significant with this or major, like, delve into it in any real way and instead just slap each other until one of them passes out. Um, yeah, the, the, there's there's also... There's also, like, there was a brief moment where he calls Saber out um, and says, like, you're a king, you had to do this shit too. And he is right about that, I just... But also this... This game is not at all interested in exploring, hey, maybe kings are bad, and it's actually a bad thing that 
Saber felt that she had to become a king to begin with. Right, and like... Um, it, it just takes it for granted that, well, obviously Saber, King Arthur, was going to be king. Yeah. Well, and like, again, we see, like, this hint that this game could be about something more, that, like, the ideal yeah. of utilization of violence as a means of uh, uh, protecting only those in your viewpoint rather than building a system and a structure that can provide support and care for others is, like, the actual productive thing and, like, rejecting Shiro's uh, ideology of becoming a sword as, like, one that is inherently toxic because it utilizes sheer, sheer violence as its only means and uh, uh, it is a inherently non-productive lifestyle uh, and instead it's just, like, swords are cool, though. And, like, swords are cool, but, like, my man, you have themes here and you're not doing things with them. Yeah, God, the... The, the whole stuff that we were talking about with short swords and shields and, and sheaths, like, and connected to what it is eventually revealed that Shiro's ultimate power is, is, oh, it makes me so frustrated. Um, but it's, it's right there! It's right there! And, and he just doesn't, he doesn't touch it. He just lets it sit. Yeah. And it, uh-huh. it kills me because it's right there. I'm like, maybe he'll do something with it in Heaven's Field. God, I hope he does something with that Heaven's Field. I'm going to be so annoyed. <laughs> like, you know that, that Twitter account is, like, accident- accidentally leftist? That could just be the entirety of Fate Stay Night. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, Nasu, <laughs> you're so close. Just copy the text of Fate Stay Night. You're almost there, my man. You are so close to understanding the ways systems inflict violence and the ways that violence is not an inherently productive belief structure and that you have to build a cohesive constructive world and support those around you and you know a, a community support and it, no 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 just slapping with swords oh, oh, yeah okay yeah um but yeah i i, I did want to just highlight that uh, uh, archer's viewpoint was a something he betrayed and b that his viewpoint was something that was different from shiro's because uh, uh shiro's is explicitly like you know, you you let yourself die. You don't you don't do you. If there is anybody who is not getting saved, it's yourself first, and everybody else later. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, so Ashiro asks Archer if he regrets his path. Archer says, "Of course he does." Shiro remarks that they are indeed two different people. Shiro claims he will never regret his path. Even if he's lost more than he's gained, he'll continue on for the sake of the things that he's lost. Um, personally, I would consider this a sunk cost fallacy, but I guess I'm just not as heroic as Shiro is. Uh, they then start to class with e- class, clash with each other in a battle of projection magic. Uh, meanwhile, Lancer has been searching for Rin. While he prefers using his lance, Kukulin did obtain all 18 uh, of the runes of origin, so he's got some magical expertise, too. Uh, he uses a Berkana rune, uh, rune to locate Rin. He opens the door to find a very surprised Shinji. Rin's chair has fallen to the ground. Her hair is covered in sand. She's uh, cut her lip, and there's a bruise by her mouth. Lancer reflexively socks Shinji in the cheek, sending him flying into the wall. <laughs> Uh, thank god someone does yeah uh if rin had looked to be in worse condition lancer would have hit him with intent and just killed him right on the spot god Uh, lancer fucking rules dude uh rin soon wakes up and notices she's in einsburn castle 
Lancer is about to cut Rin free when Kyrie suddenly appears behind him. Kyrie reveals that he is cooperating with Shinji to obtain the Grail. Lancer asks if Kyrie was lying when he said he wanted to save Rin. Kyrie argues it technically wasn't a lie, since he raised her for ten years to be a tool. Quote, I have prolonged her life for only two days, but isn't that more than enough to show my love? End quote. <laughs> Kyrie just... Real motherfucker. It is uh, so funny to me how quickly Kyrie eats shit here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after <laughs> confirming... instantaneously. Irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, after confirming to Rin that uh, that he's the one who murdered her father, Kyrie reveals that Rin will become the Holy Grail. Rin understands now that she's an impo- she's in an impossible situation and will certainly die. However, her only concern is for Shiro, as she imagines what he'll do when he finds her body. She's angry that she'll be the cause of his tears. Lancer, however, refuses Kyrie's order to pierce her heart and tells him he'll need to use a command spell. Kyrie then uses a command spell to force Lancer to kill himself. Uh, as Kyrie approaches Rin to remove her heart, remove her heart himself, even Shinji seems disturbed. He argues that Kyrie promised that he'd be given Rin. He has to take his revenge on her, which requires her to be alive. Um, the implication from both Shinji's like uh, expression here um, and just how he words himself. Uh, makes it seem that, like, yes, this is both Shinji wants to do stuff to Rin because he's a gross boy, but also that he is legitimately, like, creeped out by what Kyrie is about to do. So, like, this is a lot even for Shinji. Uh, Yeah, yeah, worst person you know makes a point. Um, With just a glance in his direction, though, Kyrie forces Shinji to back down. Uh, He then asks Rin if she has any last words. Rin, of course, is defiant to the end. Um, Kyrie places his hand on her heart, and then at the last moment, Kyrie is impaled by a gay bulg. Crowd goes wild. It fucking rules. Just out of nowhere, <laughs> spear comes straight through his chest, and it's like, hey, Lancer, didn't you, like, die? And Lancer's like, yeah, except I decided I didn't want to quite yet. And I'm like, hell yeah, you did. I think he says something like, yeah, it was a fatal blow, but, you know, it wasn't an instant kill. Well, uh, uh, so <laughs> one of the things in the uh, myth of Cullen is uh, uh, he is, like, A, one of the dudes who uh, had, like, berserker rage, basically. Um, and also, uh, as he was dying, he tied himself to a rock, if I remember right. And uh, to keep himself upright so he could continually fight until he died. <laughs> oh, that rules. Uh, like, like, yeah, like, like my man basically fought tooth and nail until after his death. Like, uh, uh, let me see if I can pull out the specifics. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Kukulin ties himself standing to, or to a standing stone to die on his feet uh, facing his enemies. Uh, due to his ferocity, even when so near death, it is only when a raven lands on his shoulder that his enemies believe he is dead. That's uh, um, hardcore. When, uh, Lugate approaches and cuts off his head, but as he does so, the hero's li- uh, the hero light burns around Kukulin, and his, forward fo- and his sword falls from his hand and cuts Lugate's hand off. The light disappears only after his right <laughs> hand. His sword arm <laughs> is cut from his body. Uh, like, that rules. <laughs> Kukulin is so fucking cool, dude. Oh, man. 
Anyway, uh, uh, with his last few moments of life, Lancer managed to sneak up on Kyrie and kill him. Uh, with Kyrie dead, Shinji gets his confidence back and starts trying to have his way with Rin. He tells her he'll spare her if she's cooperative, and he may even share the grail with her. Instead, Rin tells him he's an idiot and he, that he's being used by Gilgamesh. Shinji laughs and says she's just begging for her life and there is no one to save her now. Apparently forgetting what Lancer just fucking did. Uh, Lancer's, speaking of which, Lancer's fist makes itself known once again and Shinji is again flung into the wall. Uh, Shinji attempts to call Gilgamesh to finish off Lancer, but Gil isn't picking up his call. Lancer pierces Shinji's shoulder and warns him the next one will be fatal if he doesn't leave. Lancer, please just do us a solid and kill him outright. I'm begging you. Unfortunately, he doesn't. Uh, Shinji wisely retreats. Uh, Finally alone with Rin, Lancer cuts her bonds. Rin thanks him and bows. At that moment, Lancer falls to the ground and coughs up blood. Rin goes to heal him, but Lancer tells her not to bother. It's useless, and she doesn't have the magical energy to waste. As he dies, they both complain about the partners they ended up with. Quote, I would have had no complaints if a woman like you were my partner, Lancer says, but I never had any luck with women. <laughs> uh, again, like, the myth of Kukola, like, yeah, dude, women basically are the thing that ends up killing him super bad. Oh, man, imagine if Archer... Imagine if Lancer had become Rin's servant, though. That, dude, that would fucking rule. I would love oh. that. That would have been so cool. <laughs> then we wouldn't have had to deal with the archer's bitch ass. Yeah. Um, he then urges her to go back to Saber. He intends to use the Anz... Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. A-N-S-U-Z. Anzus rune, possibly. Uh, to burn the entire room to ashes, ensuring Kyrie will die with him. Uh, Goodbye, Lancer, Rin says. I only knew you for a short while, but I also like you. As she runs off, Lancer tells her to come back when she's older. <laughs> Dude, Lancer rules. I love Lancer. Uh, unfortunately, no more Lancer. I mean, yeah, it is unfortunate, but my man is, like, extremely regular. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, back at Shira's mirror match, things aren't going too well for him. <laughs> Just like gear, everyone fucking hates the mirror match. Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. Archer is much better at projection, so his weapons aren't breaking like Shiro's are. Besides, Shiro doesn't have nearly as much magical energy to work with as Archer does. However, <laughs> as they class, clash, Archer's skills and memories leak into Shiro. Uh, Shiro can see that Archer wasn't lying about his future, but he refuses to feel compassion and attempts to reject the memories entirely. As Archer slowly whittles him down, he asks asks Shiro if he wants to become a superhero. In In the most honest he's ever been, Shiro says he doesn't want to become one. He's going to become one. Archer agrees. He needs to become one. It's his only emotion, and it didn't even come from him. They came from Kuritsugu, a man who only saved Shiro because he was looking for someone to save from the disaster he himself caused. Archer admits he admired Churitsugu's desire to save people, but that same desire never came from his own heart. He never even knew what he wanted to save. However, Shiro denies that this is a mistake, and turns Archer's own poem against him. His denial of Archer's words fuel his counterattack, and the fight ends with Shiro running Archer through with a longsword. 
At this moment, Rin finally appears. Shira relaxes, and that gives Gilgamesh the opening he's been waiting for. Archer pop pushes Shiro out of the way, so he so only he is impaled by Gil's volley of swords. Um, did you want to pause here? Um, yeah, I think it's worth briefly saying, just like, we've had this fight scene, like, four times already. Yeah. Nothing new or interesting particularly happens here. Uh, the only thing that is, like, mildly interesting here is it, it is a final realization that we've seen of, like, the thing where, uh, uh, Shiro's own mental state is the thing that causes him to lose. Like, he is convinced, oh, my projections are going to be inferior, and so they are, because his powers literally impact or bringing his will into the world, which, yeah, man, that's a pretty fucked up good power, but if you believe you're weaker, then, like, yeah, you just literally are, because that's how it works. Yeah, and he Um, only starts winning once Archer sort of, like, pisses him off enough that Shiro just stops thinking about anything, uh, frankly, he should stop thinking in general. He's much better yeah. than he does. <laughs> uh, my main issue with this, and it'll it'll come back later, is Shiro's just absolute refusal to self-reflect even a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, 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 and, 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 and portraying that as, this is the correct thing to do. <laughs> we've had this scene a dozen times already. Like, there is nothing new here. This is not like... This is framed as, like, a scene of catharsis, but, like, yeah. what, what is cathartic about this? We've had yeah, this and... scene half a dozen times already. What does this tell us new about these characters? Is it, like, an affirmation of the same thing we've heard over and over again? Like, I don't need that to be affirmed. I already know, because it's the only thing Shiro ever fucking says. Yeah. Um, so, Rin intervenes, uh, scolding Gilgamesh. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um... Oh yeah, no, I was right, sorry. Uh, Rin intervenes, scolding Gilgamesh. Uh, Whose permission did you get to attack my archer? Uh, even though I kind of hate archer right now, that is a pretty boss line from Rin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in anger, she unleashes a volley of energy from a gem. It doesn't even scratch Gil. Uh, he briefly retaliates, but quickly stops when he realizes Rin is Saber's master. Uh, he does not want Saber to disappear just yet. Gilgamesh goes over his plans, which are mostly the same from the Fate route. He, uh, he does to... give us one specific detail, which I think is valuable, um, which sure. is that, so it, obviously we know that the uh, Grail is really just a ritual for, to consume the soul of six uh, heroic spirits. Um, oh, I think I might be about to go over this, actually. Oh, so okay. Give that, me that, one second. Yeah, go for it, then. I, yeah. Uh, so he wants to obtain the Grail and use it for himself. Saber says that only masters can obtain the Grail, but Gilgamesh reveals uh, what we already knew. The Grail War is a farce created by the Magi so they could access the contents inside the Grail. If seven servants are sacrificed to it, it will reach the, this is in uppercase, origin. Uh, Rin seems shocked by this. Gil, however, is only interested in its ability to serve as a gate. He explains that when he was showered with the Grail's contents at the end of the Fourth War, he understood the true identity of the Grail. It is a weapon, a gate to hell from which 5.6 billion curses will flow once it's opened. The Grail is named Angra Mainyu, or All Evils of the World. It is mud that will consume every human being. Shiro, ever the encyclopedia, recognizes that name as the devil in Zoroastrianism. 
It is an embodiment of the evil in all humanity. Gilgamesh intends to purge humanity of everyone but the ones who can survive even the flames of hell. They're the only ones worth ruling over. With his villain speech completed, Gilgamesh decides to get rid of the other Emya who's still alive. Uh, did I miss anything there? No, I, I was going to mention specifically the uh, ability to access the root uh, if all seven heroic spirits are uh, in it, which is like a detail I don't think that we've had before. Yeah, uh, no, we, we were not explicitly told yet that the whole point of the Grail is that mages want to access the root of the universe, basically, uh, to get mm-hmm. at its knowledge. And that is the whole point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so it's not it's, it's not wish making is purely a side effect. It wasn't right. the point. Well, and like the other thing is like seven servants being required makes the whole ritual seem like counterproductive almost because you need a servant in order to even access the Grail at all. Um, like or or at least like we are missing something, some sort of detail here because if you need seven servants to access the grail that means that there is no one to actually physically touch the grail once it's complete as far as we know yeah um and so like there has to be something more also just dropping the name anger minu is like the most this will be important next route thing possible Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) yeah it's like oh weird i wonder what's that about oh well we won't worry about it this route Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh Anyway, uh, remember that Fire Lancer set off a little earlier? Uh, Mm -hmm. That's still making its way through the castle, and it just arrived near Gilgamesh. Uh, He gets ash on his clothes and decides to leave so he doesn't dirty himself even more, because Gilgamesh is just a mean girl. Uh, I'm, like, torn, because I'm like, this is a dumb excuse to get him out of the scene, and also, like... I kind of love it, I kind of buy it, honestly, like... It's way better than, like... Ah, you are beneath my concern. Gilgamesh is, like, exactly campy enough where I buy it, is the thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I like this more than than a lot of the other contrived ways that JRPG villains just won't finish off people who are obviously going to be threats. Uh, Because, like, yeah, of course, Gilgamesh is incredibly haughty. I can buy that he'd be like, oh, my clothes are getting dirty. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Anyway, uh, as the castle is engulfed by the flames, we cut to an interlude with oh, Shinji. Oh, uh, sorry, there was one other thing that I do think is uh, uh, oh, sure. important for talking about uh, with that fight with um, Ar- Ar- Archer, actually. Um, yeah. And it is at one point, uh, Archer mentions during the fight that Shiro's swords literally fused with the hilt, her hands literally fused with the hilts of the swords. Um, to stop him from dropping them. Um, but uh, that means his body is taking the full impact of these swords hitting. Um, which, you know, is not a thing we've seen Shiro do before, where his body yeah. literally became a sword. That, I'm sure that won't come up again ever. Not this room, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I yeah. wonder if that might be a thing in Heavensfield, where his body literally becomes swords, or we, it's not like we've heard, uh, uh, the grinding of swords rubbing against each other coming from inside his body before or anything. I'm yeah. sure it's fine. There also, there also was that one bad end in the Fate route. Oh, you mean where swords literally erupted from his body? Uh-huh. Yeah, again, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I, anyway. I, I, I just, I, it was important to point that out because, um... 
Like, the yeah, one no, that... spoiler I do have is, like, yeah, things like that will be relevant in Heaven's Feel. Yeah, no, that that's good. I actually forgot that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, in the delirium caused by the pain of his wound, uh, Shinji imagines his right arm and everyone else's arms uh, rotting away. He decides his goal from now on is to collect every possible arm, starting with Rin's. Uh, Gilgamesh suddenly appears in front of him. Shinji scolds the king for failing to be his guard dog. Even worse, now that Rin's escaped, they don't have a vessel for the grail. Gilgamesh disagrees. There's a suitable vessel right here. Uh, Gilgamesh plunges his hand into Shinji's stomach. Uh, Shinji feels a sensation of billions of worms squirming through his body and trying to get out. His body rapidly expands into a formless lump of exposed meat and blood vessels, constantly growing and decaying. Gilgamesh binds the vessel with his uh, heaven's chains for safekeeping. Gilgamesh basically just pulls an Akira on this asshole. Uh, also, um, I wonder where we'd seen, like, billions of worms inside of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. there was that interlude <laughs> uh-huh. earlier in... Uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with the Matos. Yeah... <sighs> Man, the Mateo is just all around. Oh, I hate the Mateo so much. (laughs) Uh, Back at Shiro's house, Saber asks if his wounds are okay. Surprisingly, he feels just fine and he can still use his circuits. At this point, though, Saber has run out of small talk and everyone goes silent. It's not just that fighting Gilgamesh seems hopeless. No matter what happens, the Grail War will end and the three of them won't be able to meet like this anymore. Rin finally breaks the silence, saying she'll fight Gilgamesh to avenge Archer. Shiro will also fight. He can't ignore the hope that Archer left with, uh, left him with, and the Holy Grail needs to be destroyed. Oh, right, one important thing that I forgot to mention in the summary. So, like, when Archer dies to Gilgamesh, um, Archer basically communicates with Shiro that, like, Shiro has a hope of winning against Gilgamesh. He doesn't explain exactly why, but Shiro's like, well, Archer would not have saved me and told me to face Gilgamesh if there was no hope of me winning. Right. So I must be able to defeat Gilgamesh. Uh, Anyway, returning to the summary here. Um, Uh... Sorry. uh, With their... uh, with their path decided, uh, Shiro gets up to make dinner, and Ren and Saber get into their own routine so the three of them can have one last quote-unquote normal night together. Uh, at the dinner table, uh, Rin reveals she had set up a familiar, familiar to scout where Gilgamesh might be, and she's certain he's at the Ryudo Temple. Rin's plan A is to have Saber distract Gilgamesh while she and Shiro destroy the vessel before the Grail can be summoned. Shiro has concerns about this plan. If Saber were fighting Gilgamesh like it was a match between two knights, she could easily defeat him. However, Gilgamesh's power isn't that of an individual, but more like an entire army. So they say entire war, which is a very weird way of putting it. Um, But basically, the idea is that Gilgamesh's powers is just having like a whole bunch of fucking weapons. So he's more like the equivalent of an entire army attacking you as opposed to just like one-on-one night combat. Uh, yeah. And, and Saber, as good as she is, cannot fight an entire army. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll need to come up with a countermeasure to ensure Saber's victory. 
Rin thinks over these details out loud and realizes that's why Gilgamesh considered Archer to be such a threat. Like Gilgamesh, Archer also didn't have an original noble phantasm. Suddenly, Rin gets flustered and hides behind Saber. Saber asks what's wrong and Rin tells her to just ignore her and talk, some, talk amongst themselves while she thinks. Saber tells Shiro that she may be able to defeat Gilgamesh if she uses her noble phantasm before he can. It will place a large burden on the, on the two of them, though, and will use up most of Rin's magical energy. As Saber is explaining this, Rin is blushing in the background while she thinks. Shiro asks her about how much energy she can spare, and Rin asks Shiro how he knew what she was thinking about. Shiro, of course, doesn't know what Rin means by this. Uh, Rin says Saber should be able to use her noble phantasm twice with their magical energy. Uh, with the meeting concluded, Shiro has a few things he can do before going to sleep. If you choose to talk to Saber in the dojo, he thinks about how once the war ends, he won't ever be able to see her again. He'd like to have one last conversation before that happens. Saber is surprised to see him. She's happy he came to talk, but she thought he had gone to Rin's room. Shiro, confused, asks why, he, why she thought that, since Rin didn't call for him. Saber tells him to just ignore her comments. She just thought it would be better that way. She quickly changes the subject and asks Shiro why he's there instead of resting. He makes, up, he makes up an excuse about not being able to sleep and wanting to drink tea with her since she's awake and Rin's probably busy. Saber accepts the invitation. Shiro makes a tea, and for a few peaceful minutes, they drink tea in silence in the dojo. Once they finish, Saber encourages Rin... Sorry, Saber encourages Shiro to go see Rin, as she likely has a new idea figured out. As he leaves the dojo, Shiro reflects on the time he spent with Saber. Quote, that ends our final time together. I didn't leave anything definite. I couldn't make any sure promise. No sensations I would be able to recall. No proof at all of Saber's existence. But I think this is right. What's left are memories that fade away. So I'll cherish this trifling event and hold it strong in my heart. End quote. Uh, I actually kind of like this scene. Um, I honestly think it's better than... Sort of the final stuff we got with them in Fate. I mean, yeah, but like, a sharp rock to the back of the head is better than a lot of the final stuff we get with them in Fate. Like, yeah, no, that that's fair. <laughs> I, I don't know. This this just doesn't do anything for me, and I think part of that is in like the context of what the ending is. It does nothing for me. That's true. Like if. But like, if this scene were in the Fate route, I think it would be a lot more powerful. But because yeah. this is the Unlimited Blade Works route, and even though you can select like Saber stuff, UBW basically doesn't have time for Saber, right? Um, because it's Rin route time, baby. Um, yes. The the emotional moments with Saber do feel disconnected from the overall like priorities of the route. Yeah, it, it just feels like. In context, like, like out of context, yeah, this is like a perfectly fine scene. I think it works very well. In context, it feels like kind of weightless and like makes me roll my eyes a little bit. Like, I just don't buy it in context. Yeah, I get that. Especially um, with what comes immediately next. That's true. Uh, I'm just looking, looking for some bright spots, you know? <laughs> uh, listen, I respect your desire to look for bright spots. Uh, this fucking sucked it out of me, dude. 
<laughs> uh, so upon letting Shiro into her uh, room, uh, she a uh, Rin asked what he was doing with Saber. He explains he was just drinking tea with her since they can't be using up any energy on training. Uh, if you decide to go over strategy with Rin instead, uh, Rin knocks on uh, Shiro knocks on Rin's door to see if she's still awake. Uh, in a panic, she tells him not to come in just yet, and he hears rustling sounds from behind the door. Regardless of which choice you you made, uh, everything continues on the same from here. I'm, I'm honestly kind of disappointed there wasn't more. Yeah, there was like nothing if you pick choice. Rin. Yeah, it's real weird. I honestly even wonder why they bothered making that choice. So you have a final opportunity to get two Rin points or one Rin point? Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. It's very strange. Um, so, uh, regardless of which choice you made, Rin seems to be out of sorts, and Shiro asks if she's in a bad mood. Rin says that's not true. She has a plan to beat Gilgamesh. She forcefully pulls him inside and locks her door. Shiro suggests that they should switch roles in the upcoming battle. Instead of having Saber fight Gilgamesh, Key should fight him instead, since Archer's magic was Gil Gilgamesh's natural enemy. Rin believes that if Shiro can produce the same number of noble phantasms Gilgamesh has, he could be beaten. Shiro argues he doesn't have the magic to pull that off. Rin reminds him that Archer's real noble phantasm was the reality marvel. If his magic could be boosted, Shiro could also make that reality marvel. If Magi don't have enough magical energy themselves, they can just take it from somewhere else. Rin has decided to use herself as the supply, and Shiro finally figures out why she's been acting weird this whole time. It's so funny. Shiro is like, oh yeah, I think I have like a gut feeling that I could probably beat him, and Rin's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, your whole magic shtick is like custom built for beating Gilgamesh, and he's like, oh fuck, you're right. She's just yeah. like, did you... Did you really not? You, did you really you not actually figure this out? Are you really that yeah, stupid? Yeah, yeah. You just kind of like, I mean, yeah, kinda. Uh, so Shiro assumes that Rin must just be messing with him again as usual. Rin, however, just stares at him. He initially uh, protests out of embarrassment, but quickly realizes that Rin has been suppressing her own embarrassment for both their sakes. Uh, he apologizes and explains to Rin that he didn't mean to imply that he didn't want to sleep with her. Quite the opposite. He simply wished that their first time together wasn't for something like a contract. So, we're about to get into the sex scene, which is very bad. It's one fucking thing, dire. But one thing I do want to mention is that, like, in the very, very, in the very early stages of this, I had a small amount of hope that it would be at least okay, because there are yeah. a couple things here that I actually kind of liked. Um, one thing I, I, I will mention, because it was kind of, it, it was actually pretty good, um, was uh, as Rin gets ready to take her clothes off, she asks Shiro to look away. Uh, he turns his back to her, then realizes that's, uh, I'm going to quote directly here. That's right. Having sex means getting naked. I forgot that simple yet scary fact until now. Which, I actually kind of like that bit of dialogue because it's Shiro going like, oh yeah, we we have to show each other our bodies. Like these very, like, private and, and intimate things. <laughs> and, like, yeah. we are going to show them to each other and then we will be, like, silently and also possibly not silently judging each other's bodies for the first time. And that is scary, you know? Yeah, Shiro, I, you're right. It is scary. 
to show your body to someone else. I agree. Uh, like, I, I think, like, in a story, that is an interesting thing. I think this is trying to be porn, uh, and I think virgins being bad at sex is, like, the least erotic thing on the planet. As, like, yeah. I, I, I am not opposed to, like, that awkwardness. I, I think that awkwardness is, like, conveyed only momentarily, and then it's just a nosedive down. Um, one thing I will say is I actually didn't mind the contrast between this initial setup here um, and the one in, between Saber and Shiro. Uh, because the one between Saber and Shiro feels like uh, – uh, the initial one between Saber and Shiro feels like they are forced into it by circumstance um, and by Brin to a large degree. Whereas this one <sighs> – There is clearly a desire here on both of their parts compared yeah. to the one between Saber and Shiro. Like, it, both of them do want this in a way that Saber and Shiro were not ready for, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, like, I, I, I buy both of them being interested and up for this and, like, jumping at this excuse for it to happen. Yeah. Um, I also agree with that. Like, my my primary issues with what is about to happen is not necessarily with the with the setup and like again the very early parts with of it, but what happens like pretty much almost immediately after uh-huh, the segment yeah. I mentioned I liked. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. You mean every part where Nasu tries to write porn? Yeah. Uh, Nasu. Uh, also, also this is petty, but Rin puts her twin tails down and. The twin tails are great. You don't have to put those down. (laughs) Oh my fucking critical support. Uh, Genuinely unironic. Like, genuine unironic. You have nothing but my support here. I had not even (laughs) considered that. But, like, I mean, that's. Listen, Nasu is already showing his fucking ass here by making her keep the stockings on. (laughs) what's, what's, What's funny to me is, like,. Uh, Shiro says, oh, you're not going to take your stockings off? I'm like, Shiro! That's erotic! <laughs> you, you fucking... It's What's so wrong with you? Let her leave the stockings on! That's you're not going to take appeal. them off? And, like, everyone it, it, who is watching this is, like, 90% watching this, like, her whole character design is built so that she doesn't take those off. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Shiro? Yeah, like the the Rin uh, character design are the twin tails and the stockings. Like that, those are the crucial elements. I, I, I want to be clear here: neither of those really do anything for me. And even I'm like, you only make that character design in the first place if you're planning on not removing those during the sex scene. Like that's yeah, that is like what those are for in the character design. Uh. <laughs> I know it's it's a petty thing considering the more substantial things that we're going to oh, be no, talking I, about, but I I just I just really want to mention that that she no, put her hair down and she, and and Nasu is a coward for having her do that. No, I I actually I unironically think it is like a valuable point to make because like okay, so I, I want to be clear here. I think Nasu is very bad at writing porn. I think he is miserable as a, a, anybody trying to create erotic work, and I think the fact that he is consistently trying to do character work instead of writing anything actually hot and then like the sex often feels like almost a firm not a formality but like 
an obligation to write uh, to some degree. Um, to me, at least, like it feels like he is not even really interested in it. Um, in, in a lot of the writing, despite the fucking word count he spends on it. Yeah. Um, he, God, so much. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, but I, I think it is worth like mentioning, like yeah, like Nasu elides like part of the interest he generates in or leading up to the sex scene and like loses that focus to a degree um like it's I, I almost think, like he doesn't understand what is erotic about the stuff yeah i i and his art legitimately yes i think the other thing too is um in my opinion Solid and effective porn and erotica writing requires an immediacy and a physicality that, like, Nasu is very bad at. Nasu is very, very bad at things that require an immediacy and physicality, and we see this constantly in his fight scenes, where he can't write anything that is about specific motions and movements of bodies through a space, um, and instead relies on a inner dialogue to communicate uh, how people are feeling about actions without having to necessarily describe actions in and of themselves. And he's yeah. not very good at utilizing prose to uh, descriptive prose of specific physicality to be evocative of specific of like of emotion of genuine reactions in the reader, um, which is like the core of effective erotica and the core of effective porn. And like he's bad at that, like really bad at it. Yeah, like when he when he does try to describe physicality, we get the stuff like the boiled vagina from Unlimited Flavor, <laughs> as far from the Patriots. I forgot about that. Fuck me! Oh my god! Yeah, we do get that. Oh, <laughs> I I think that one still may have been uh, translation foibles. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's certainly possible. But... This one pretty much proves that like. There's no translation foibles that could do this one. Uh, yeah. I think we, I think we have finished delaying though. We need to actually talk about this, which yes. is um, so th- I'll I'm gonna quickly go over the points I wrote down first. Yes. So like the my primary issues with this sex scene and why I think it's actively detrimental to like the actual story in a way that the previous two in the fate route weren't. Um, is that it kind of, like, kicks the shins out of the Shiro and Rin relationship. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the sex scene, um, uh, you've mentioned before how, like, uh, Nasu often writes sex in, in terms of, like, metaphors of violence. Yes. Um, this is extremely the case in this one. Uh, like, Sh- Shiro... Um, Shiro says, I want to make Tosaka mine by force. Um, even by the standards of the other scenes we've covered, a lot of time is spent on describing how painful and uncomfortable Shiro's penetration is for Rin. Um, uh, I, yeah, I think that's actually something we should highlight here. Um, so one thing that happens in this sex scene is uh, Shiro and... Uh, obviously, we're going to get into specifics of sex, Uh Yes, we can maybe timestamp it if we need to. I, I, it, it, we've already clarified that this is the scene where the sex scene happens and that this is a porn game. If you're here already, you're here for this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Shiro is uh, 
fingering Tosaka and, like, trying to get her worked up. Uh, he tongues her belly button at some point because – and she acts like this is an erogenous zone and it's like, Nasu, I feel like you don't understand how bodies work. Um, <laughs> and Rin is apparently so close to coming that Shiro can't go down on her. However, she is bone dry. Just yeah, completely is- dry. Which, like, actually, in if it weren't for everything else that happens here, like, Shiro going, like, are you sure about this? I want to go down on you, so, like, you've got some lubrication there. Um, uh-huh. would, would be like, hey, good move on Shiro's part. But, like, Nasu contrives this totally ridiculous situation where Rin's like, no, you absolutely can't do that. Right, it- uh, so, uh, she is insistent that, A, she, uh, can't come before Shiro, which, like, okay, whatever, fine, that's, like, not, whatever, virgins are being virgins. Um, it, 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 it's both, like, weird virgin things, but also it's, like, weird, overly romantically invested porn thing, like, it's not an uncommon thing, like, the expectation Combined with, like, made-up magic mechanics. Sure, yeah, like, whatever, fine. Um, but the expectation for someone to be on the edge of coming without being, without any signs of arousal, or without any, like, wetness is, like, at the very least, not my experience with anybody in real life. Um, I am not a person with a vagina, so, like, you know, maybe it's possible. It doesn't seem particularly feasible. Doesn't also seem like a, a specific edge case you'd want to include in the sex scene unless it specifically does something for you. Uh, because at this point, uh, Rin insists Shiro enters her without any lubrication. Uh, so completely dry, and it's like, man, that feels like it's going to be chafing for both of you. This doesn't sound pleasant for anybody. Yeah, not even like, not even like outside lubrication. Like she doesn't yeah, even have any just nothing or anything. Which, again, like, Rin is normally a very prepared person. You'd think if she was concerned about that sort of thing, she would have that prepared. Yeah, um, and so Shiro then fucks her with, like, next to no lubrication. Uh, And, like, it's not... We know Nasu knows pussies get wet because we've seen this happen in the fate route. Like, we know for a fact that, like... It is a thing he is aware occurs within the body of people who have vaginas. Yeah. And so, like, this happening here is a clear and intentional choice, especially in the context of, like, offering that option and rejecting it. And so, like, the only possibility here is that, like, that violence and pain is a thing he thinks – or a thing that he is attempting to bring to the scene to satisfy a specific desire – in some capacity, uh, because it's not like it's satisfying any like thematic or character resonance here. Like there's there's nothing significant. Uh, I at least can't come up with anything significant. And instead, it just evokes a uh, uh, it furthers that desire for pain and violence as a part of sex, um, as a part of virginity. Um, and the, it, it it highlights this uh, not even necessarily impossibility or edge case, but. Uh, uh, at the very least, a non-stereotypical um, version of sex uh, and version of erotica that is, like, solely painful for the female partner um, that is, like, just genuinely kind of foul to read. 
it it, yeah. it is at, at one point the the one the part that like really set me off to like oh i'm not liking this to uh oh this this is awful i hate this um is at one point shiro starts to get rougher mm-hmm. uh and um rin literally begs him to stop and he ignores her yeah oh constantly like this whole scene is basically her like it's trying to do the uh, um you know uh she protests too much thing that happens in like porn yeah. where she's into it but she's not but like she's clearly yeah, it, not yeah she's, like, like clearly not but what's wild to me ev- what's wild to me about this scene is i feel like I feel like Nasu wants me to think that, oh, Rin's just being tsundere, like she always is. But it doesn't feel like that even a little bit. Like, and I can't imagine, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe things were different. Maybe the audience for this was different when it first came out. But if you are a fan of the Shiro-Rin pairing, and like, I, I admit, it is a pairing I like even even though there are pairings and relationship configurations I prefer, um, I I don't understand why Nasu would think that this scene is what those people would want. Right. Uh, like, this whole scene feels... It, it is... She is literally mad at the end of this sex scene. Yeah, she, about she the tells way Shiro him, used her. Yeah, she tells him like quite point blankly and without any sort of hint of like jokiness, I'm never going to have sex with you ever again. And she kicks him out. Like not not even like in a not even like kicks him out in the way that she did in Unlimited Blade Works because like she and Saber want to have privacy. She kicks him out because she hates him at this point. I mean... For what he did. Uh, okay, so it, I, I do think if we want to be fair to the actual text, the text wants us to think it is because she is, like, embarrassed about how much she enjoyed it. Yeah, but, that's like, true. Yeah, th- that, that is, is clearly how the text wants us to, to read that. That is not how I read that at all. It does not feel that way to me. It feels like yeah. a person who is upset and feels kind of violated. And, yeah. like, it, it just... It feels gross. It feels consumptive. It feels foul. Yeah. I... And it makes... And, and like, in the context of what their relationship is going to be in Day 16 in the epilogue, makes no fucking sense. Like, if... If this actually happened, there's no way Rin would ever want to have a relationship with him. Like, Like, maybe she would keep cooperating with him just so that she didn't die to Gilgamesh and then the world wasn't consumed by the grail. But like after that, she'd just be out. She'd never want to have anything to do with him ever again. Um, but like the, the game wants to portray it as like, uh, looks the, the, the kids are, the kids are being kids again. She's being Sundere and not like, it's Especially so in a context where she was literally just tied up and threatened with sexual assault less than three hours before. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to be clear here. The sequence of this day for Rin 
She is kidnapped. She is betrayed by one of the people she thought was closest to her, who is literally a version of the person she later has sex with. Uh, she is threatened with sexual assault and is left almost entirely defenseless. Uh, and then has a is sex that is described as violent to the point where she literally bleeds, which is like not a thing that has to happen during sex. Uh, and like it, it, everything about this is like described in violent terms. It's just the least erotic thing on the planet. It's yeah. such bad porn. Um, and we're supposed to buy that it's just her being Sundare and being embarrassed that, and that's the reason why she kicks him out and not like a genuine sense of being upset. Like it just is so frustrating that yeah, like, like the previous sex scenes were, were bad, but this is like heinous to me. Yeah, th- th- this is like, I don't have words for, how, like, here's the thing, I'm not even surprised. Like, if we wanted to, I could, we could pull up a text of this sex scene, and we could break down, like, scene by scene, what makes it both decidedly unerotic. Like, you know, Nasu, I still can't get over Nasu thinking that fucking tonguing a belly button is, like, <laughs> enough to bring somebody close to an orgasm. Um, but like also what exactly makes this foul in like its context of the gender relationships in, and the relationship between sex intimacy and like sexual assault in this work. But like, it is just done. We don't have to, I don't have the energy for it. This work treats this with such careless, casual disregard that like, it almost doesn't deserve me spending that energy, you know? Yeah. Like, we complained about Rin kind of being ignored in the later parts of Fate, but I'd kind of prefer that to how she's treated in these last two days. She's a prop! She's a device to get Shinji out of trouble, to uh, uh, to provide someone for Shiro to fuck, and to be a battery for him. Yeah. That's, that's literally what she does. Everybody else who does, like, major... She is saved again by another version of Shiro at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> like, Rin is done so dirty by this plot, and, like, the... The gender politics of this game are so fucked and foul that it's, like, kind of upsetting. I say kind of upsetting, like, I didn't know what we were getting into, but, like, we're sinking... It is way more entrenched. I mean, I than knew, I thought. but I what? never, I did not imagine it be, it would be quite this bad. I like, didn't think it again, would be th- like the Little Blade Wars version of this scene is just like you know they're in a they're in a room together and it's a, and it's a little intimate because they have to take off some of their clothes. But like she basically, I think it's like a magic circuit thing yeah. where she's like gives him part she, uh, of her crest it, or something. He, here's the thing: it's actually more intimate uh, in the non-erotic version. Yeah, I because, remember like kind of liking the Unlimited Blade Works version, uh, like the 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 show version. I should. So say. the show version, what she does is she transplants some of her magic crest to him, the thing that is in her family for generations, the thing that is definitional of what makes a mage, uh, of what makes a lineage of, lineage of mages. It, it is symbolic of the thing that culturally defines you as a mage, and it is built up by your uh, historic. By generational wealth, it is indicative of generational wealth, of generational power, uh, of systemic power. It, it is 
inherently the most valuable thing she can own, and it is the thing that she is obligated in her mind as a mage to, that she does not actually own herself. She is merely a custodian of for the next generation. Yeah. And she chooses to pass a part of that to Shira. Like, th- that is both a rejection of the ideal of what a maid should be, a-, a rejection of what a maid should value, and an I- indication of what she does value, of how important Shiro is to her, beyond just this sex scene that is just this weird, vile violence. There yeah. is so much more in that non-erotic scene. And, like, that is the thing that makes me go, like, does Nasu even want to write sex scenes? Because it feels like he doesn't. He does better work when he doesn't write them. Yeah, yeah, like, the... Honestly, I, I think that... Whereas in the Fate route, I would say that, like, the sex scenes are largely forgettable. Like, there's some... There's some kind of interesting you can discussion you can get out of the first one but largely we can pretend the first one's poly uh even if it's also repulsive <laughs> yeah but but largely like they're forgettable they kind of don't matter whereas this one like you should not if if you care about getting the best experience with unlimited blade works you should not read the not safe forward version you should not read the the arrow gay version of it because it's actively worse than the non-arrow gay um, it, it, it does way worse things to Shiro and Rin's relationship that just don't happen in, in the non-Arrow game version. It's fucking wild. I don't... Uh, yeah, I didn't I, think I mean, it would like, be this bad. I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't think it would be bad in this specific way, this yeah. consistently. I, like, that, that is the thing that is, like, the roughest for me, is, like, the combination of how both insidiously creeping this weird vile misogyny is through every part of this work um but it's how consistent it is in this it do you know what i mean yeah it's just like fucking repugnant and it's everywhere (sighs) yeah so i i'm all talked out about this scene um, do you have anything more you want to say about it? No, I, Nasu, if you want to write sex scenes, just fucking pay me. I'll write them for you. Like, <laughs> I, I will learn Japanese just to write your sex scenes for you, man. I am, listen, I'll sell out. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I'll write them better. Let, let's head over to day 16, um, and leave this shit behind us because it's never going to come up again. Don't, you're super wrong. I guarantee you Heaven's Feel is going to be worse. Get, I have higher hopes for Heaven's Feel oh, as a sorry, root. I, I, don't, I don't mean this spe- I mean this specific sequence is never going to come up again. They will, oh, never, I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, I am going to reference it. Oh, I yeah, I mean, to. we will. We will. But the but the game, as far as the game is concerned... It like, may as well not happen, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, a few, anyway, day 16, a few hours before dawn, Shiro is going through the house, turning off all the lights and making sure everything is prepared for their final battle. Uh, he notices Sa- Saber standing in the yard and calls out to her. Uh, quote, I was watching the sky and this house, she replies. I want to engrave the events in my mind so that I will remember them forever. I have a favor to ask of you as well. I will protect you too, so please come back to this house together, end quote. Uh, Shiro says they'll come back no matter what. Rin, seeing them chatting in the car- courtyard, 
uh, shouts at them to hurry up as they don't have any time to waste. Saber smiles at Shiro as he turns off the last light. They lend, they then leave the house together. Um, in a scenario where the previous scene did not happen, I I would have really liked Saber being like, "I hope you two kids make. Promise me, you two kids will make it out of this, okay?" Yeah, I mean, like the implication here is like Saber's not expecting to come back. Yeah, that like it, Saber is expecting for one way or the other. To meet her end at uh, the temple. Yeah, but but also like that she is invested in like not only their lives individually, but like sort of them together. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, as they walk to the temple, uh, Shiro goes over the plan in his head. Saber will approach from the front entrance, allowing Shiro and Rin to sneak in from the back. The two mages will quickly destroy the Grail, then join up with Saber again to reinforce her. Shiro will project Gilgamesh's own noble phantasm, phantasms back at him, giving Saber an opening to finish him off. Since Shiro and Rin aren't heading to the temple through the normal route, they're not following a road so much as an improvised hiking trail. As they approach, Rin mentions that the area smells so bloody that she feels sick. Shiro can't smell anything like that, but he does feel that this place is suffused with an abnormally strong life force. Rin asks him if he's feeling okay. He says he's fine, but he's a little a little worried about his ability to control the large amount of energy he's getting now from Rin. Rin, meanwhile, is con- concerned for a different reason. She's supplying energy to two people. Uh, Rin, uh, sorry, Sh- Shiro and Saber. Right now, Saber is getting less energy than normal, which means she can only use her Holy Sword once. If she can't stop Gilgamesh on her own, she'll use it on the Holy Grail, e- even if it means she'll disappear. The way Rin says it, Shiro can tell she's grown attached to Saber, too. I wish the visual novel cared, a po- cared about exploring that. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure do. Uh, meanwhile, Saber is making her way up the stairs of the main entrance. She can tell the temple has been poisoned. Rin told her to wait for 30 minutes before starting her attack. Saber is following that order... But at the end of the countdown, she rushes up the stairs to arrive faster than Rin likely likely expects. Saber intends to protect her master's life, even if she has to fudge the orders Rin gave her a bit. By her estimation, she'll arrive five minutes sooner than Rin planned for. However, standing in front of the gate is is someone none of our heroes expected. Assassin. He explains that his existence is special. The temple itself is binding him here. The mountain is his master. Castor may have summoned him, but only a host from the present age can maintain a servant's presence. Medea brought him here and then bound him to the mountain. However, the mountain can't provide magical energy, so he's still running off of the 20 days' worth that Castor gave him. Today is the final, dis- is the final day. He'll disappear at dawn. Saber asks him to step aside, saying there's no meaning to having a battle now. Assassin, however, argues his very existence has no meaning. He's not even a real copy of the fictional hero character of Sasaki Kojiro. He was a fake. He was a fake created to imitate a fake. Even if he had had accomplishments, they would go to the quote real character, not to him. The only thing that has meaning to him is fighting a battle with a worthy opponent. We cut back to Rin and Shiro, who have finally made it up to the temple. As the lake comes into view, they see the flesh pile that was once Shinji. It's grown a bit since we last saw it. 
Shiro describes it as being a bi as big as an island, though that seems like a bit of an exaggeration. It's very small for an island. Yeah. I guess technically an island, but come on. Uh, the lake itself has been polluted with black tar. Rin deduces that the mass of flesh is close to exploding. The vessel used to contain the grail is too small and can't, and can't hold it all in. It will eventually destroy its host. Unfortunately, Gilgamesh doesn't care if the Holy Grail self-destructs or not. He just wants to open it to uh, he just wants it to open the gate and fl and flood the world with black mud. Once the gate is opened, it doesn't matter if the Holy Grail sticks around or not. Ren Shiro will have to make their way over to what remains of Shinji and rip him out. Uh, just as Shiro is about to try to run across the corrupted lake, they're interrupted by Gilgamesh. He considers killing them immediately, but decides that would be too boring. Instead, he'll give them a grace period. He'll allow them to live long enough to see the cocoon hatch and witness the culmination of his grand plan. Rin asks Shiro if he can hold out against Gilgamesh until Saber arrives. She intends to pull Shinji out. He's still Sakura's brother, after all, and Shiro does believe in saving everyone that can be saved, so Rin wants to help him out with that ideal. Uh, Rin starts running across the lake. Uh, Gil says it's absurd to think a mere human could withstand the curse, but even still, he's going to try and kill her before she can find out. Shiro yells, Trace off! and blocks the sword Gil Gilgamesh flings at her back. Uh, Gil Gilgamesh is angry now. He summons many more weapons, points them all at Shiro, and then lets them fly. Uh, back with Saber, her fight against Assassin isn't going well. She's not only in she's not in any serious danger, but she's having trouble finding a way to deal a killing blow to Assassin without leaving herself open to retaliation. Eventually, Assassin managed to lead her into a trap, getting her getting her into the right position for his noble phantasm. He reveals his whole goal was to get her to use her full might against him. Saber then unleashes the seal on her sword. Uh, we return to Rin, who is making her way through the cursed lake. She swallowed two jewels and is using all of the magical energy she saved up to defend herself from the curse trying to infect her body. Unfortunately, the curse is very powerful, and the gems aren't making much of a difference. She has to rely on her own willpower to stay, stay alive. Eventually, she manages to reach the expanse of meat. Upon touching the red ground, she notices it's the same as the black mud, but it has an actual form. It came out of the Holy Grail and took form using magical energy. It's actually exactly like a servant. She doesn't have time to ponder the implications of that, though. She first has to find Shinji and pull him out. Uh, we cut to Shiro, who so far is successful is successfully fending off Gilgamesh's attacks. The battle is not against Gilgamesh, though, but against Shiro's own body. As long as he can keep up the speed and precision of his projection magic, he will survive. However, Shiro's projection quality does begin to decrease. In addition, Gilgamesh is toying with him. He's releasing his noble phantasms one by one instead of all at once. With no other options, Shiro resorts to overloading his magic circuits, forcing them to load far more blueprints at once than they're capable of handling. If he loses control, the swords he's making will pierce him from within. Calling back to something you mentioned, Sierra. I'm sure it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, he reproduces each noble phantasm that Gil cr has currently summoned. Uh, seeing what Shiro is doing, Gilgamesh unleashes a portion of his weapons, uh, freeze out, sword bullet open, Shiro yells. Uh, he's holding out... Not quite as cool as Trace on, but it's still alright. Yeah, it's still pretty good. 
Uh, he's holding out, but Gil is still faster. Shiro can't project that many weapons simultaneously. He has to send them out in succession. As Shiro gets pelted with weapons, Gilgamesh mocks him for trying to save Shinji and... Sorry, Gilgamesh mocks both of them for trying to save Shinji instead of just killing him. Honestly, kind of on Gil's side here. Uh, yeah. Suddenly the reign of blades ceases and Gilgamesh pulls out a weapon we've seen before. Eya, the sword he used against Saber and nearly killed her with back in the Fate Root. For some reason, the structure of the, the structure of this sword is the only one Shiro cannot read. Gilgamesh challenges, Gilgamesh challenges Shiro to see what he can save with his imitations as the sword creates a storm of energy that threatens to engulf Shiro. We go back to Saber again, just as Assassin is unleashing his secret technique. Saber must rely on her battle instincts to defeat his noble phantasm, and she barely manages to notice the blind spot between his left arm and, and his waist. It still chips off some of her armor, but she's able to survive the attack, close the distance, and deliver a fatal blow. With the match decided and Assassin's Wish realized, he tells Saber to go. Saber rushes up the stairs without looking back. Assassin was such a nothing character, and he didn't really need to be. Yeah, like... Honestly, I feel like in the uh, UFO table version, he ends up feeling more substantial, in part because the uh, VA performance gives him a lot more weight. Yeah. Like, the VA performance lends to him a sense of, like, tragedy that he doesn't necessarily have in this. Um, yeah. It, like, it feels like he is definitely supposed... Like, he is clearly supposed to be tragic. He is a dude who is... A fictional version of a probably fictional person who is brought back as a heroic, as a fake heroic spirit because he was some random schmuck who could kind of do the thing that uh, Sasaki Kojiro was renowned to be able to do. Yeah. Like, and there was like, uh, and he is not going to get anything he wants. So the only thing he wants here is to be good enough to push and uh, uh, make somebody real have to recognize him as real enough to require her full power. Like, yeah. Th th he is desperate for that validation as a person who is, like, fundamentally fake and fictional. And, like, you know, th there is a potential there for a really powerful counterpoint to Shiro and to uh, Archer as, like, people who are also fakes. Uh, uh, like... Again, we have this issue where Nasu is very good at setting up thematic parallels. Like, you have Gilgamesh to not to Archer and Shiro, uh, and then Sasuke as a parallel to both of them. Uh, Artoria as a parallel to Shiro. Rin as a parallel to Artoria, and through Artoria, like, a parallel to Shiro as, like, both foils and uh, parallels to one another in different ways. Yeah. And then he just doesn't do anything with them. Yeah, like, uh, uh, like Assassin didn't need to be this dull. Like, there's some cool stuff there that just never gets folded into, you know, the the actual themes of the of the route. Like, he's he's just kind of there to be an obstacle. Yeah. He is literally just there as a gatekeeper, and it's, like, kind of frustrating because he doesn't feel like he should be. He, yeah. He feels like he should be more. Uh, 
it is weird to feel like the Unlimited Blade Works route both should be longer and should be shorter. Yeah, I, I think it should be longer in certain aspects and shorter in others. Like What I think is it the Fate and Unlimited Blade Works route should be one route, and it should be uh, one and a half times the length of the Unlimited Blade Works route. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there are a lot of, like, stuff that is just repeated in both of those roots like mm-hmm. i the more the more we talk about unlimited blade works and one of our primary cons- complaints about unlimited blade works is that it is just consistently repeating itself without adding anything new um it feels like re- it's treading water and it's been repeating itself since this stuff initially came up in fate like there's not much inherently different about shiro's internal conflicts from fate compared to unlimited blade works yeah like, it's just that his conclusion is very slightly different. Also, he's slightly less overtly misogynistic. Yeah, the, the way Shiro acts is different, and I do appreciate it for that, because he's, for the most part, better. Um, yeah. But also, it, it does feel like, why why were these roots not just combined into Especially a considering, larger uh, root? Yeah, especially considering Saber's ending literally feels like it should fit into uh, this ending here. Yeah. Anyways. It's it's so weird. Um, In the instant before uh, Gilgamesh's attack hits Shiro, um, he develops... uh, Shiro develops the strongest weapons he's ever projected, a sword of separation. It cuts through the wind, destroys six noble phantasms, and cuts his body apart. It also disconnects his magic circuit, dispersing Rin's magical energy with nowhere to go. He survived, barely, but he can't fight back anymore. As Shiro lies on the ground, Gilgamesh mocks him. Quote, A superhero? A world where no one gets hurt? Ridiculous. No world can preserve happiness without harming anyone. Humans cannot live without sacrifices. Peace is a myth created by those who cower in fear of the dark. You mongrel. Your idea is just an excuse to cover up your ugliness, end quote. In his mind, Shiro admits that this ideal is a fake. He doesn't even know what needs to be saved. However, he still feels the ideal is beautiful. He doesn't care that the wish doesn't come from him. He'll make it come true. Shiro somehow manages to stand back up. Gilgamesh summons more swords, but this time Saber intercepts them. However, Shiro tells her to help Rin destroy the Grail. She's the only one who can do it, and he's certain he can defeat Gilgamesh by himself. Saber is surprised not only by his words, but also by the fact that she believes him. Good luck. I will go save Rin, she says, just before she leaves. Um, uh, oh, sorry. Just before she leaves, Shiro stops her and says, quote, I could not save you. I don't think that Holy Grail is the one you seek. Go take a good look at it so that you won't make a mistake next time. I guess I wasn't fit to be your master, end quote. Um, which does fit perf- fit a lot better into the storyline that was in Fate, where it, yeah. it, it feels perfunctory here. It feels like, you know, if this were one route, um, it would make sense for it to be here, and it would feel powerful. Yeah. Um, that is not true, Saber replies. You are my master, Shiro. I shall fulfill my role as servant. We will talk afterwards, end quote. 
Um, Gilgamesh finds all this comical. As if to overwhelm Shiro and end the charade once and for all, he creates about 30 noble phantasms. Shiro remarks to Gilgamesh that he was mistaken. His magic isn't creating swords. Strengthening and projection are just a byproduct of the one magic he can do. His true magic is putting shape to his mind. He begins casting the spell, I am the bone of my sword. Gilgamesh unleashes the swords in an attempt to stop him, but Shiro summons the uh, petal shield, um, I think it was Row uh, Ice. Row Ice. Yeah, yep. Row Ice, uh, made from his own body to hold out. Steel is my body and fire is my blood. I have created a thousand blades, unaware of loss nor aware of gain. Withstood pain to create weapons. Waiting for one's arrival, I have no regrets. This is the only path. My whole life was unlimited blade works. As soon as he I, says... I, Sorry, go ahead. I do think it's worth mentioning here that um, the two chants are... Uh, er, between Shiro and um, Archers are different. Um, Ar- Archers is one that is explicitly a... Uh, one that kind of highlights tragedy. Yeah. Um, whereas Shiro's is an affirmation that, like, this is the path that he is going to take. Yeah. Um. Th- this is me. I am Unlimited Bladeworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is frustrating. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, um, as soon as he says the true name, his circuits break and completely reform. Um where once there was a single circuit, now there are many. In that same instant, the reality marble is created, transporting the two to the wasteland of swords. I don't create swords, Shiro says. I create a world that contains infinite swords. Unlimited Blade Works is the only definite answer obtained by the one who lived as a sword his whole life. Uh, Saber reaches the mountain of meat and falters, realizing that the flesh pile and her are of the same essence. They are both servants. Um, she calls out to Rin, who, call, who calls back, telling her not to step in the mud. If she does, she'll also turn into a flesh pile. Rin tells her to use her noble phantasm before the meat explodes. However, Saber hesitates, not wanting Rin to be caught in the blast. Rin says she'll try to get out, but Saber should use it if she can't make it in time. Saber again protests, but Rin uses a command st- spell to prevent her from trying to wade through the cursed lake. Rin has managed to pull Shinji free, but now she can't escape. Just as she's about to give up and use her last command spell to force Saber to unleash Excalibur, she hears Archer's voice in her head telling her to run. Believing he has a plan, she does exactly what she's told. Arrows rain down from the sky, destroying everything in front of her, even parting the black mud to give her a clear path. As she makes her way to the other side of the lake, she yells for Saber to attack. This time, Saber doesn't hesitate. Escalibur cleaves the meat in half and evaporates the black mud. Uh, if Shiro's affection points with Saber are too low, or his affection points with Rin are too high, Saber will begin to disappear. The Holy Grail, the object she thought would save her, was a lie that she destroyed with her own hands after finally realizing her mistake. Just as Archer arrived at his own answer at the very end, she has to move forward as well to an end where she takes her hands off of the sword. Quote, the contract is complete. You are victorious, Rin, she says uh, as Excalibur fades. She still has a bit of energy left and could stay in the world if she pushes herself. 
She would like to see what awaits the two of them in the end, but she believes that is not her role, since Cheryl already has Rin. She disappears completely, returning to what we know is her postponed death. Um, uh, and, like, I do think it's worth highlighting here, like, this is this is her fate ending. This is the end. Yeah. This is, A, this is part of what is considered the canonical true ending. Um, and this is also literally the fate ending. Like, yeah. This is just the what? fate ending again, just not, just not, just not centered around her, just not framed by her romance with Shiro. Right, and like, I, I, it feels like somebody said you had to split these two routes into two because you have to have a route where you fuck Saber and a route where you fuck Rin, and like, these really feel like they should have been one route because they just overlap. Yeah, um. It's weird to me. It's it's it actually kind of bothers me that they put in a line of like she she could stick around with her own power if she wanted to, but but she doesn't want to be a third wheel. It seems very. It seems weird that that's that's the reason that they give for Saber deciding not to actually. Uh, do something she wants to do for a change. It's like, oh, I, I'd just be interfering with the romance. It really sucks. Like, if she's um, gonna fade, that's fine. Let her fade realizing that she, she uh, uh, that e- even though she didn't accomplish what she set out to do, she accomplished what she needed to do. And leave it at that. Don't put in this weird thing of like, oh, I could stick around if I wanted to, but I won't because I don't want to in- interfere with Cheryl and Rin's thing. I, I mean, part of it, I read it as that. I read it also as, like, partly her acceptance of, like, her ending um, and, like, her death. And that to push further would be prolonging an inevitable end that, like, she didn't necessarily feel a need to prolong anymore, if that makes sense. I, I don't think your read is wrong, necessarily. I just also read that into it a, uh, to a degree. I mean, your read would be, like, the... It's it's the one that I would have preferred this to communicate, and I think for for most of it, it does. It's just that one line is just very weird. I don't know why they put it in there. Yeah, that one line like, does feel a little whack. Because because they didn't need to like mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, no nowhere is it implied that servants can stick around of their own volition if they just want to. Like they they're answering a question that no one would have. Yeah, like she's out of magic. We we know she's out of magic. Yeah, we know that's the thing that stops you from staying. She's out of magic. That's like the whole thing. You've told us over and over again she'd be out of magic. Why are you untelling us that? It, yeah, it it, it it didn't need to be there. It's frustrating. Like she had. It, it feels. I mean, it's again. It's not so doing the thing where he refuses to let actions speak for themselves. Like a better writer would have let that choice be the moment she decides to use Excalibur, knowing it will be her end. Yeah. Like, knowing that that will be the ending for her, like, she still chooses to use Excalibur to end the Holy Grail, the thing she wanted. And, like, we here's the thing. We got that ending already. Yeah. It's called Fate. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Like, that's, like, the other thing. The fracturing of those two roots... 
feels like it just makes a worse story. Yeah. Because it just fractures these two better versions of the same story. Yeah, it's so uh, weird. It, it, it's just frustrating. Uh, back inside the reality marble, Shiro is matching Gilgamesh blow for blow. As they predicted, uh, Gilgamesh's powers entirely came from sheer numbers. Shiro, in his infinite field of swords, can now easily match those numbers. Uh, and since Gilgamesh doesn't like getting his hands dirty, he has less skill as a fighter than Shiro. Against any other servant, Shiro's marble wouldn't save him. But against Gilgamesh, whose original weapons are exactly as useful to him as Shiro's fakes, Shiro is the perfect counter. In desperation, Gilgamesh tries to use Aya, the one sword Shiro can't imitate. But Shiro is too quick, and he uses Archer's twin swords to slice off Gil's Gilgamesh's arm. Gilgamesh retreats, and Shiro tries to finish him off, but the magical energy released from Excalibur, uh, destroying the Holy Grail, also smashes the reality marble apart. Suddenly, a black void appears right on top of Gilgamesh, and it swallows him up. Shiro reasons that Saber and Rin must have been successful, and the void has appeared to take Gilgamesh back. Just as Shiro relaxes and is about to rest, Gilgamesh's chains fly out of the void and wrap around Shiro, threatening to drag him in. Uh, Gilgamesh, whose body has already partially melted, remarks, Does it not know servants cannot become the core? Um, Shiro prepares to... I'm, I don't know. Maybe that'll come up later. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine why it would. Uh, Shiro it feels like we're totally done with the Holy Grail. <laughs> uh, Shiro prepares to resist until the very end, but he's interrupted by the voice of Archer. Quote, you can do that if you wish, but dodge Shiro right before you do that. End quote. Uh, an arrow flies past Shiro and strikes Gilgamesh directly in the head. Shiro is released from chains, Gilgamesh is swallowed up, and the void disappeared. I don't know why this intervention had to happen other than to try and make Archer seem cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the same reason Archer had to also save Rin at the last moment, yeah. because we have to make Archer cool, actually. Not only does... Of, like, not only does this Archer saves everybody thing make absolutely zero sense considering what just fucking happened to him in day 15, uh, but like it doesn't help him, it doesn't help rebuild his character at all. No. <laughs> like at all. Like not at all. <sighs> I still fucking hate him. I just am more annoyed at the game for trying to make me not hate him. Yeah. Uh, Rin runs to Archer as he begins to disappear. She doesn't know what to say when she reaches him, so he teases her a little about looking worn out. She tells him to form a contract with her again, but he refuses. His battle ends Ugh. here. Quote, Please take care of me, he says. I think you know, but I am unreliable. Please support me. He thinks to himself that a girl like Rin stays with... That if a girl like Rin stays with Shiro, then the heroic spirit Emya shouldn't be born. Archer will continue to be a guardian, but maybe this Shiro can avoid his fate. Rin smiles. Quote, yeah, I know. I'll do my best so that he won't get twisted like you. I'll do my best so that he will be able to like himself. End quote. Archer says he'll do his best from now on, too, and with that, he disappears. I have stuff I want to say about this conversation, specifically what Rin says about, like, but what Rin and Archer imply about Rin saving Shiro from himself, but I feel like I feel we, like we can cover until, that at like the very end. Yeah, we, we should wait until we've covered the Brilliant Years epilogue, uh, because that stuff is repeated there. Yeah. Um, so first, let's take care of the Sunny Day epilogue. 
uh, Shiro wakes up in his room, and uh, this is the epilogue that happens if um, uh, you've sort of balanced your affection points between Saber and Rin. This is the quote-unquote good end, the end where uh, Saber does not disappear. Yeah. Uh, Shiro, Shiro wakes up in his room and notices a whole day has passed since he fell unconscious after his fight at the temple. He notices it's very quiet and says out loud that Rin must have gone home already. He starts to call out for Saber, but realizes she wouldn't be around anymore. He makes his way to the kitchen and starts making breakfast. He briefly looks into their living room and notices it's empty. It finally hits him for real that the routine he started to accept as normal doesn't exist anymore. He loses his appetite and leaves his breakfast on the table. He enters what he assumes will be the empty dojo and is shocked to see Saber meditating in her casual clothes. Shiro asks if Saber is really Saber. Saber, apparently not understanding why Shiro would be so shocked, asks him if there's something wrong with his eyes. She reaches out and feels his eyelids. Uh, it literally says that very weird thing, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Her touch, it's it's it tries to, it's trying to be like intimate, but uh, touching eyelids. Mm. Uh, her touch convinces him that she really is still here, and he says the first thing that comes into his head: "Good morning, Saber. I'm glad to be able to see you again." Uh, "Good morning, Shiro." She responds, "I am glad as well to be able to greet you again." Uh, Shiro starts to ask how she's still here, and Saber tells him to ask Rin. She's been waiting for him to realize she's still at his house. He turns around, sees Rin, and simply says, oh. What a blunt <laughs> that does kind of rule, it honestly. Is very, it is very funny. Uh, what a blunt response, Rin says. You're all kind to Saber, but a mere O oh is what I get. Uh, as usual, Shiro is able to deflect Rin's anger, and they soon congratulate each other for a job well done. He asks her what she did to Saber. And she says she didn't do anything special. Her contract still exists, so Saber is still her familiar. Now that the Grail is gone, it is much harder for Rin to maintain Saber by herself, but she's not alone. Rin and Shiro working together should be able to keep her around. Shiro asks how he can possibly do that, and apparently too dumb to remember one of the most important moments of his life that happened barely more than a day ago. Oh my god, he's so uh, Rin's stupid, not gonna dude! Say, Rin's not gonna say, you need to keep fucking me in front of Saber, though. So she just says, you know what I mean, you idiot. Uh, Shiro is happy to have Saber stay around, but he doesn't want to keep her against her will. Saber assures him that she wants to stay and watch over them until the very end. Uh, he said that my way is wrong, she explains. I would like for you to tell me the answer to that someday. Rin feels this look. This looks a bit too much like flirting for her taste, so she interrupts them. Saber, however, also coward. wants to know, huh? Uh, I I just said coward specifically yeah. at Nasu. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. This that also irritated me. Uh, Saber, however, also wants to know what Rin means by having Shiro support her. She doesn't want Shiro to agree to make a promise when he doesn't know the details. In a rage that both of them could be this dumb, Rin tells them both to be quiet. Uh, this upcoming line is a great Rin line. Quote, Saber is mine and you're mine too, so don't argue back with me, end quote. I mean, yeah, we all knew she was the top. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, she explains that Shiro is basically her familiar now too, and that she intends to shape him up into a proper magus. She'll teach him magic, and Saber will teach him swordsmanship. 
With those details settled, Saber and Rin head to the living room to eat breakfast. I do need to emphasize that the final CG of the Sunny Days epilogue is Rin running into the living room, holding Saber's hand. Saber is blushing in surprise. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we all know what we want this to be. Yes. Um. Yeah, and... So uh, I, I do want to highlight that this is framed as, quote-unquote, the good ending and not the, quote-unquote, true ending. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason I want to highlight that is I think it is important to highlight what the work itself gives canonicity to. Um, not so much because it's what I feel, so much as uh, this is a work that is inherently about multiple iterations of similar ideologies and uh, what their contradictions bring to light. And so I, I think highlighting the distinction between true and uh, uh, good is important. Yeah. Also, um, also I, like, just in general, for games that have multiple endings, like, I, I think it does matter to, like, analyze, like, how, how does the game frame those endings? Like, is the, like are certain endings given more narrative weight and importance than others? Like mm -hmm. I probably, I probably shouldn't spoil a completely unrelated game on this podcast, but a lot of the issues ah, fuck it. that like one of the primary problems I had with the way that the first life is strange game ends is that, <laughs> okay, you, yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking uh -huh. about. Like okay. homie, I'm a dyke. Of course I know. Yeah. The, so the way that Life is Strange ends is that uh, in or like you can either stop a um, in order to stop a giant storm that's caused by your own time travel shenanigans from wiping out the town, you have to sacrifice your girlfriend who you initially used time travel to save. That was your first act of time travel was saving her, mm -hmm. and you have to undo everything you've done to stop the storm from wiping out the town. So you can do that, or you can just say. Nah, fuck it. I was right to go back in time and save you. Um, I, I shouldn't be ashamed for using these powers to save someone I love, and just let the town get wiped out by the storm. Michael um, Jordan voice, fuck them kids. Yeah. The 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 ending where you let the storm destroy the town is given an ending that feels very perfunctory compared to the amount of time spent on the Denoma of the ending where you sacrifice your girlfriend. Uh, yeah, and, and like it something, it, it's something that not just I noticed, a lot of people noticed it. And there's a lot of people I personally know who despise the way life is strange ends for the way life is strange handles. A lot of things is like whack as fuck. And like that one, I like, I kind of get, I guess, because like, you know, in like a real world like there's a degree to which yeah choosing to let a whole town burn to save one person could be seen as like a horribly monstrous ending but like man it's really clear where y'all's priorities lied huh yeah y'all yeah. really did not think anybody would be going yeah fuck the town i'm gay uh and it turns out everyone i know who's gay went fuck the town i'm gay they were all homophobic to me anyway hypothetically yeah, I, I i specifically remember like um because my best friend and I like to uh, often like to play those narrative games like together. Like, um, you know, he, he would watch me play them to see the choices I made that he played them himself to like see the differences. 
Uh, and I remember like he was watching me play that ending, and I was I was I was visibly getting more and more frustrated by how how I was seeing the final episode shape up and like where it was and it how it was leading to a kill bury your gaze moment <laughs> like uh-huh and i i remember like when i got to that choice i said fuck this shit and then chose to let the the town burn uh-huh. uh so like it was partly out of like like how you frame stuff is important and like i chose that option not because of like any like moral decision because you could argue that it is morally wrong to to let the town burn but because i was actually frustrated and was rebelling against the the artificial situation created in the game that framed the two choices that way yeah um because they are not framed equally at all no for Uh, sure and while it's not quite as extreme in Fate Stay Night, Brill- Sunny Day is definitely framed as this is the fan service choice. It's not the real choice. So I do want to give Fate some credit here, um, especially compared to Life is Strange. Uh, because like, yeah, I don't think it's nearly the- as bad as what Life is Strange does, but... Well, uh- I also think it is important to highlight specifically that the Fate route, or the Unlimited Blade Works route, is explicitly in part about how uh, an imitation or a uh, untrue or a fake alternate of a thing can be, like, as valuable, if not more so, than the quote-unquote true thing. And, like, I yeah. think that is, in part, like, lends credence to the value this... like. Uh, that gives weight to the sunny day ending as a ending that like has that feels like more than just the fan service ending to me at least it it feels like an ending that says you can end the game here if you want if you wanted to turn the game off here uh it is a valid read to decide this is where you want the game to end yeah but sunny day also feels like a this is where you end this game like a it is a finale ending, mm-hmm. um, and like you play Sunny Day and you turn off the console at that point. You don't go on to Heaven's Field. Whereas yeah. the quote unquote true ending feels like a okay. You want to resolve these themes. You want to resolve these ideas. Let's move forward. Let's go to Heaven's Field. Yeah. Um, and like that—that that is what the true versus good distinction means for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. Um, Sunny um, Day definitely feels more final. It, it feels more final, yeah. I, I mean, the ending, even for uh, the true ending, is explicitly like a this is a thing that will continue on to the future. Yeah, e- like e- e- even even their relationship feels a little more stable in Sunny Day than yes. it does in Brilliant Years. It feels more confident. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and so like for me. Sunny Day is the uh, good ending because it is the ending you reach as, like, a finale. It is like a you are deciding that this story for these characters ends here. Um, it, this is the terminus of this plot. Whereas the true route is the true route because there is one more route to go. And yeah. it's true because there is more to continue to come. Um, and, and so, like, that is why it is given that privileged position as the true route. 
versus Sunny Day uh, because it leaves that unresolved tension there that uh, Sunny Day does not. Yeah, which what's interesting to me about that, um, and I talked about this during our sort of pre-show discussion, but like this is the route where Rin and Saber do reject the rules of the Holy Grail War. Right. What we've been wanting them to do the whole time. I mean, like, that that to me is part of why it's a terminus. Like, yeah. that, that is why it is an ending. Because they reject the Holy Grail War. And, like, that is the thing we've been wanting this whole time. That is the underlying tension that has been under these past two routes. And so, like, for them to finally do it, it's like, yeah, that, that tension's resolved. That's, that's why that's the good ending. They reject the Holy Grail War. They reject Mage Society. Rin give... It, Rin effectively is at a point where she's not going to be able to do, like, magic of any capacity anymore. Her, her magic ability is tapped out to the point where she needs another person to help support Saber. Yeah. Like, she is done as a mage. Like, it, this is a rejection of mage society, it is a rejection of the Holy Grail Ward, it is a rejection of the structures of these systems in favor of building a productive and valuable relationship with two other people. Like, they... And that's not nothing. That is, that is valuable. But, like, that is why this is an ending, because it's that tension that we've been wanting is resolved. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the real shame of the Sunny Day ending is that the the Unlimited Blade works, the, the rest of Unlimited Blade works that came before it doesn't, doesn't really fully support it. Yeah, it doesn't do the legwork. Yeah. Like, it... Yeah, because like Sunny Day feels like the route you have when you, instead of having the Saber Rin route be the Fate route and the Unlimited Blade Works route, you had one route where you could pick one or the other, uh, and it's the one where you, er, Sunny Day feels like the route you get when you manage to balance their effective points accurately. Yeah, like it. It feels like the true quote unquote harem ending, but not like in a actual harem way but like in a hey this is like an actual stable poly triad yeah that, that's what actually kind of surprised me about it is that like aside from like the the one comment from rin where she gets frustrated by saber and shiro flirting a bit uh or what she perceives as flirting um like it's it's actually like a, a really good portrayal of what that triad dynamic would be like mm-hmm um, and it's it, it's it's really good. Um, and, it, and it's not like centered entirely around Shiro either. Like Rin straight up says, "Hey, you two are mine." Well, yeah, that's just most. I think that's mostly though because she pegs both of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, Sunny Day is like, for all intents and purposes, the good route. It's the route that like is an ending for these characters. Uh, and everybody forgot Sakura exists. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, I, I... She's literally mentioned once in this ending, and it's just, oh yeah, she and Shinji are getting along better, you know, now that Shinji's confined to a hospital bed and can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that comes up in Brilliant Years, but I imagine it would be roughly the same for Sunny Day. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot that it's not actually even brought up in Sunny Day. Yeah, Sakura is, never in mentioned in, Sakura is never mentioned in Sunny Day, but I imagine those details would be roughly the same regardless. I mean, yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I I mean, 
that that's the real shame of it is that I like the sunny day ending. I think we both do. Like it 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 gives us a lot of what sort of we were looking for from what we would hope would be the culmination and resolution of certain themes that like kept getting brought up in the game but also uh, uh, on on the double edge of that sword nasu did not properly support the conclusion that sunny day comes to because those themes aren't really that explored no um like he wants two roots to have done the legwork for one ending yeah um, and they just haven't. Like, he has kept both the. If he wanted two roots to do the legwork for one ending, like, he shouldn't have fucking reiterated so much that we already learned in Unlimited or er, in Fate. Yes, Sunny Day is the ending for the type of route I would create as a fan work, where instead of being all about, like, Shiro's all, whole weirdness, would be more about Shiro and Rin and Saber all realizing that. They are, as long as they continue to do this shit, they will continue to be simply tools being controlled by forces much larger than themselves, and they need to start, like, Mm -hmm. breaking free from that and thinking for themselves. Correct. Uh, (laughs) uh, Uh, Which is going to bring us to Brilliant Days, or Brilliant Brilliant Years, which is the other ending. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Um, yeah, you, I'm assuming you have a summary for Brilliant Years as well? Yes. Um, it's now been a month since the final battle at the temple, but to Shiro it feels like a long time ago. He's sorry to find it hard to remember what hero Emiya looked like. Even now, he's not certain who truly won that battle, if either of them did. One day, though, he'll find out who was right. He's suddenly woken up by Issei, who's warning him that he's going to miss the school's closing ceremony in ten minutes. Shiro thanks him and heads out into the hallway with him. Issei is being Issei, though, and refuses to let him run in the hallways. <laughs> I missed Issei. I missed this dude. Issei rules. Uh, most of the Fucking da- king shit. Most of the damage caused by the Grail War has been taken care of by the Church, thanks in part to Kota Mine's replacement. Uh, Kuzuki, however, is considered missing. Issei was saddened by this, but wasn't surprised that a man who showed up suddenly also left suddenly. Taika was also disappointed and told Shiro that she had wanted to fight with him once, because they kn- both knew Kung Fu. <laughs> Uh, I like the Taiga's whole thing. Is, man, I love I, I ha- so much. I, I love the Taiga's disappointment. Was like, man, I could have fought a worthy opponent. I love her so fucking much because fucking Suzuki would have murdered her. Is the thing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he would have killed her, and she's just like, man, I wanted to punch him though. Yeah, Taiga is like. Jackie Chan, and that she doesn't care if like all her bones are broken. She just just wants. She to thinks do it's fun. Shit. Yeah, yeah, it's what she lives for. Uh, Shinji was saved and is currently in a hospital that's likely part of the Mage Association. Sadly, he's getting better. Uh, Sakura has been visiting them, and according to Shiro, they've been getting on surprisingly well. Um, Shiro wishes he had gotten to say goodbye to Saber, but he's glad that she can now be free of the Grail. I want to pause here because Shinji will never come up again in the rest of this ending, but it makes zero sense to me that Shinji is now fine and is totally chill. Uh, I mean, the way I read that as, yeah, Shinji's fine because there are eyes on him now. He is in a public space where everybody is watching him all the time. Like, yeah, he's fine because he doesn't do shit in public because he's a coward. Yeah, that... 
that is the read that actually makes sense to me in this context, but it definitely feels like the game is like, oh yeah, Shinji got saved by the meat by the meat from the meat circus, and now he's he's all better. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get that. Um, I, I, at least like to me, it's supported by the fact that like we see Shinji doesn't do things where people can see him, yeah. or like where he can get caught. Like he is repeatedly and consistently a coward. Um. And, like, Sakura is visiting him. Like, Sakura's ending is tragic here. Like, I I don't think him and uh, Sakura getting along makes a ton of sense to me, and it bums me the fuck out. Yeah. But I think, I I chalk that up to Nasu is bad at writing abuse victims. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess we'll see whether or not the read of he's just behaving like this because he's uh, got eyes on him is, is supported by Heaven's Feel. Because, like, I feel like you gotta address the Shinji situation better in a route focused on Sakura. But we'll see. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yep. like, this ending for Sakura, like, sucks real bad. Yeah, it does. Um, as the two reach the first floor, uh, Issei is surprised to run into Rin. Rin asks him if he's patrolling the buildings and remarks that he's far too diligent. Issei says he's sick of hearing her make the same comments over and over again, and in frustration asks her if she keeps repeating herself on purpose. Rin says, of course it was on purpose. What, did you not realize that until now? I thought you had more sense of humor, but I guess you really are a blockhead. I'm very sorry. I always use the same greeting to show my affection for you, but I guess it was hard for you to understand. Uh, it's so fucking funny. I really wish we had more Rin and Issei interacting because they're God, very fun same. together. They are. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Issei gets flustered, not believing she has any affection for him, and urges Shiro to just ignore her and follow him into the ceremony. Shiro thinks about how Issei does still doesn't get along with Rin, and for some reason he thinks that he feels the same way. Th- this part was very bizarre, where where like Shiro is like saying oh yeah I don't feel like I get along with her well either it's like dude dude what <laughs> uh it it felt like extremely like women be shopping sitcom relationship energy yeah uh although Rin and Shiro had previously agreed to act normally around each around other people Rin seems to have decided she wants to troll Issei some more she greets Shiro and embraces his arm while giving him a big smile. This is apparently the first time they've touched each other in a month, which, man, that is not a great sign. Uh, she then mm-hmm. suggests they go home together after he finishes helping out the student council. She'll wait for him in her classroom. Uh, Issei, who, if you remember from way back in the first days of the story, had warned Shiro to stay away from Rin, is quite disturbed to see them acting very close. Issei asks if she's discovered some weakness of his that she's manipulating, but he just says it's complicated and has no way of beating her. It'll be up to Issei to defeat her, a challenge that Issei takes on with gusto. Uh, After school, Shiro meets up with Rin in her classroom. Rin observes that Issei makes him help even on the last day, and is sure that that's his way of getting back at her. Shiro reminds her that that he'd probably be free a lot earlier if she didn't deliberately mess with Issei. As they drink juice boxes and stare out the window, stare out the window of the classroom, Rin notices the track team and suddenly asks Shiro if he was on that team at some point. He was always in the archery club, he corrects her. 
Rin says the setting sun must have just reminded her of something and uh, must have just reminded her of something and to forget about it. Having endured her magical lessons for a month now, Shiro has started to notice her habits. Whenever she calls him Emiyakun, she's either going to make a sarcastic remark or say something very important. He, this is likely the latter. They change the subject, talking about next year, talking about how next year will be their last one at the school. Rin asks him what he intends to do after he graduates. Uh, he says he wants to become a proper magus, so he asks her to give him her best regards for next year. Rin teases him, saying that she was prepared to keep him as an apprentice for ten years, but apparently he's fine with just one more year of training. He gets flustered, saying ten years would be great, actually, but wouldn't she get tired of teaching him? Nope, she says, as your goal is to become a proper magus, my goal is to make you a prop my goal is to make you a proper magus. I have it all planned out in my head, you know. Shall I write it down and give it to you? End quote. Um uh, however, she laments that her original plan is probably impossible. He's going to succeed his dad, so he'll be staying in Fuyuki after he graduates. Meanwhile, she'll be going to London to study at the headquarters of the Magic Association. She plans to stay here, stay there for about five years. Rin offhandedly suggests that, due to his adopted father's achievements and being the last one alive of his family, London may allow him to test in if she recommends him. She knows he's not a fan of the Magic Association, but the Clock Tower would be the best environment for him to train. Plus, she's being invited as a successor of the Tosaka family, so she'll get a proper room befitting a Magus. And it wouldn't be unusual for her to have an apprentice or two, for her to have an apprentice or two. So actually, he wouldn't even need to take a test, and he'd be exempt from tuition fees if she brought him in as an assistant. Though this would put him at a bit more of a, a disadvantage, since he'd be a student without actually being part of the association. She mischievously asks him what he intends to do now. He knows that sh he knows that she knows what his answer will be, but she clearly wants to wants to drag it out of him. However, he's finding it difficult to reply honestly. Uh, I'm going to get taught by you until I become a proper magus. He finally admits. For her part, Rin intends to make him an honest man and help him lead a happy life. So, I am—I have really mixed feelings about this ending. Yep, so do I. Um, yeah, and they go off together, and like that's pretty much the ending. Um, there's a epilogue after the epilogue after the credits, but like. This is like the core final scene here. Yeah, the answer epilogue um, is just the it, the, the it's final literally part just a, of the Archer Shiro fight, but from Archer's inner monologue, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't give us anything. It, it literally is a retread. It is just the most annoying thing to read. Yeah. Um. So my feelings on this are like kind of complicated. Gives them more credence, I guess, than I want to. But like, on the one hand. I am, like, I am happy to see Shiro having developed a desire that is, like, specifically his. That yeah. is not, like, him emulating somebody else. It, he has a desire that he is, A, interested in for his own personal reasons, people he cares about, and is actively taking, or, like, goals to achieve that. He is, like, yeah. building something and moving forward. He wants like, to be a proper like, magus, which is something that Kuritsugu explicitly did not want him to be. Yeah, it, like, he, he has something he wants specifically. Like, that is great. That is, like, genuinely the thing we've been wanting and pushing for. That is, like, a real 
movement forward that we've been hoping for for Shiro for like the whole time. However, that's almost counter to like what we've been seeing him, what we saw him doing that whole route. Like his whole affirmation, that whole route was, I'm not wrong for having this singular desire yeah. uh, and committing to it wholeheartedly, uh, except in this ending where I decided that I have like this different desire. And so like it, it feels weirdly abrupt for me. I think um, so I think like, what you're how you're supposed to read it is that in order to become a superhero, he he wants to get more magical training so he's so he can get the power I to guess. match Archer. I guess maybe, but like even that like is super muddied. Yeah. Um, what I will say is like in a vacuum, I actually really like this last scene with Rin and Shiro. Like I, I think it is like a genuinely charming scene. Um, out of that vacuum, like uh, I, we have spent. I personally think that it, it's weird that Shiro is that hesitant to like it. I didn't read like, it as hesitant. I read it as like embarrassed uh, because he still doesn't really know how to engage with the fact that like he and Rin are like a thing. I guess um, so, but, but like, I feel that also, runs counter to other times he's been like very honest oh yeah it, it, it is wildly inconsistent in this room situations like that is like the the part that is frustrating about it because like there was that whole graveyard scene yeah like that that whole graveyard scene was like my, literally my favorite scene in the whole yeah, game that's so far. specifically the scene i was thinking of and like that shiro would not act like this in this ending well yeah why is that shiro acting like this like i i could understand like freezing by the abruptness of like rin being this direct about it yeah uh and like even that ending of like why are you asking something that obvious like when you obviously know the answer like even that i'm fine with but like everything in between is a little like shiro come on man i get you're like 18 and you're stupid and like barely not a virgin anymore but like also man come on yeah um I, I think like, I think it, it would have been kind of kind of a, a much better framing if Shiro was surprised by like Rin, why are why are you being like this? <laughs> this is unusual for you. <laughs> yeah, like him being even just like confused why there's even like a question of whether or not he's going would have been better. Yeah, it's like of course I'm going to go um, with you. I like you. <laughs> but yeah, like. It, I just meant like in a vacuum of like just this scene's existence. Okay, I feel like this is like. A, a pretty good scene. Yeah. Uh, in the context of the route, it's like, why, why do we have this scene after the cemetery scene, which was like this explicit display of like intimacy and desire and like care for one another in the face of certain death? Like, I, I feel like we've gotten past this, but okay. Um, however, all that being said, we have spent two routes establishing that the mage society and being a quote-unquote proper magus is one of the most foul exploitative and violent things that a person could want to be and it is an abject amoral being a proper magus is an abject amoral being to their core and that the desire to be a proper magus runs counter to everything that made rin good and the person that shiro cared about and so Shiro constantly talking about wanting to integrate further into mage society and uh, Rin wanting to integrate further into mage society and be a proper magus is like 
the most whiplash thing because it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it, it's Man, not. It's it, not even framed uh, like in a, in a sense of like, yeah, we're gonna learn their tricks so we can use it against them. Like, it's just yeah, no, it's gonna it, do the thing that all Magus do. Time to go to Harry Potter land. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is the most frustrating thing because we have spent two routes with quote-unquote proper magis being a specific thematic term that refers to a systematic generational structure of violence and exploitation of children and the vulnerable and like all of a sudden shiro's like oh i'm gonna be a proper magis now and i, I why what the fuck yeah why the, is this the true ending why is this a good ending the the anime the the uh ufo table adaptation if, if you remember actually makes this kind of worse because it flash forwards to mm-hmm. rin in magic college where she's just having her having fun doing magic kung, kung fu with her fellow magic college students and everything's the, great the ufo table also hits how fucking evil magi are way less though yeah that is true like, the UFO table version, I don't mind as much because they pull back on how fucking foul Magus are. Yeah. But everything that has been revealed about the Holy Grail War, about Magus's, about, like, the grand reveal about the Holy Grail War is that it's construction by Magi for foul and nefarious purposes to pervert the structures of the world. Yeah. Like, everything about Magi are a perversion and exploitative. And we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, it's good that Shira wants to be a Magi. That's good, actually. Yeah. Like, if it was like, I, I want to learn magic from you, um, th- yeah, that would that'd be different. But he specifically uses the framing, the term proper magus, which means a thing. It's, it, it's, it's not just words. It, it, it is like a specific phrase that has been repeated throughout the novel. And it's especially it weird is like because, spe- like, Rin's arc through both fate and... Unlimited Blade Works is how it's actually a good thing that she is not a proper Magus. It is explicitly about how she is not a proper Magus and that is a good thing. And like her becoming a non-proper Magus is like the thing that allows her access to humanity and to intimacy and like to others around her. Because if she was, Shiro would be dead and none of this would Mm -hmm. have happened. Like the world would be Shiro would be dead and then she would be dead. Yeah. Uh, And so like this ending is very frustrating to me because, like, I can see what it is trying to do, but, like, it doesn't make sense to me why you would want me to think of them integrating into mage society, A, it makes any sense, and B, is anything other than a foul and tragic perversion of both of their ideals at this point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, what I actually think it is is, I feel like Nasu forgot that mages are fucking foul and evil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it, it, it feels like a Rocky forgot levels of. Did you do you not remember how this works? Yeah, it's it's really weird. The, the this ending, the brilliant years as an ending, feels deeply unsatisfying to me. Like largely because it. It do, it feels so much of a like a non sequitur. Yeah, like it feels disconnected. Like granted, like sunny days all sunny day is, in its own ways also kind of does, but at least like it has stuff that ties into themes that have been come up before, even if it's not properly supported. 
like... Sunday Days also feels like a resolution. Yeah. It feels like there is an ending there. It feels like it is a resolution in the context of the ending we have received already. Yeah, like, this one, this ending, not only does it seem to run counter to a a lot of the stuff that was set up by Fate and Unlimited Wade works, but also I don't necessarily believe that... it's it's a good it's gonna end up being a good ending for Shiro or Rin. Right. Like I am not convinced that their relationship is going to be happy or that Rin will save him. Even though like I, yeah. the game desperately wants uh wants us to believe that like Shiro will be prevented from going down his route uh the same route that Guardian Emiya had simply through Rin's power of love for him, which is so God, I hate that part so much. Like that's no. that's the difference. That's how Shiro learned to love himself. That's a fucked up thing to like pause it. Yeah, I it's it's frustrating and annoying. Uh So yeah, that's unlimited blade works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for 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 a route that like started out with us being pretty positive, like it, it feels like it ended way worse than Fate did. I I mean yeah, it, these last th- it, it is a route that like we started out pretty positive on, but it's just filled with so much tedium that like even though it's highest highs, which I think was like that last recording session uh, had some of my favorite moments in the entire game so far. Yeah. Uh, it is just so full of so much tedium and the worst fucking sex scene in just about anything I've read um, that, like, I'm not even ang- I, I, it, Like, you know when your parent goes, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed? That's how I feel right now. Yeah, yeah, I just feel Because tired. I know you could do better. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just, I, I am tired and, like, not so I know you could do better. It feels like you're reading an essay way around halfway through. You can see the point where somebody hit... Like, oh, this is due tomorrow night, or, or tomorrow <laughs> morning, and I have to just finish this. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, like, the action scenes feel perfunctory and boring, there's no sense of kinetics, like, the... They go on the forever. Actual, they go on forever, it feels like he was trying to hit a word count, the themes and ideas feel muddy and, like, messy, the endings feel perfunctory and counter to everything that was set up. Like, it feels like a middle that's treading water waiting for an ending it, it feels like either fate should have been a part of unlimited blade works or unlimited blade works should have been a part of fate one way or the other uh and he should have cut like a solid 50 percent of unlimited blade works uh and just made fate longer yeah and it, it, yeah and it's 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 real a shame because this is supposed to be like the fruit that focuses on rin and like it does her real dirty at the end like uh, it does her real dirty throughout yeah um, she, it, it, we like that last set recording session because Rin got to do shit. That, but like outside of that, what else does she get to do? Uh, was was the date sequence in that last recording? No, the, the date sequence was in the recording we did at at your house. So that that was also. Oh uh, yeah, okay. I, I liked... So the last two, yeah. yeah, the date sequence too. Yeah. Um. I... <sighs> but yeah, you're right. I suppose like like Rin's role in Unlimited Blade Works isn't all that much different from what her role was in Fate. This isn't the Rin route. This is the Shiro route. Yeah. 
Like, this is the route where we learn about Shiro's tragic... I mean, it's it's not his tragic backstory, but it's future him's tragic backstory, so his tragic future story. Yeah. Like, it's not the Rin route. It's not about Rin. It's not about his relationship with Rin. His relationship with Rin feels perfunctory outside of, like... The moments where it gets to shine, and the moment where it gets the moments where it gets to shine are the strongest parts. Yeah, and like that's like the frustrating thing. Nasu is when he actually puts his head down and fucking writes, and like writes these character moments and these character interactions. He does well. Every scene that we've liked that has turned out really well has been these character, these moments of quiet character intimacy. Yeah, it, it, it's like, why we want this visual novel to end well and to have everything connect because a lot of this because like there are quite a few moments where it's like i see what you're going for and and what you're doing is really good just please i i for the love of god actually connect stop it doing together. the bad parts like, yeah may, have it end well like make it make a uh, good ending <laughs> and i mean here's the thing this game's never going to be the thing we want it to be because like the, for this game to be the thing we want it to be, it would need to be willing to be radical in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And it's not like, it's fundamentally proven that it's not, it's like weirdly reactionary and misogynistic in like a core and fundamental way in the way it treats women. Yeah. Um, which, which is especially bizarre. Cause like the women in fate stay night are, are consistently portrayed to be the most competent ones. Yeah, but I mean, even that is in service of, like, this game's weird brand of misogyny, which is that competence is always in service of serving Shiro. Yeah, that's that um, it, it is always in service of shoring up a less competent, less effective man uh, and supporting him. Uh, their competency exists only to uh, add to Shiro's value, um, which is, like, weird and frustrating because that competency is never in service of their own goals or desires. Yeah. Which which I think is probably why we we keep, the two of us keep you know harping on the theoretical Rin Saber relationship because it feels way more natural. Uh, it, it it not only feels more natural, it is a relationship that exists outside of the context of Shiro. Yeah. Um, or like even in the context of Shiro, like it is a relationship of their desires for somebody other than Shiro. Yeah, I, like, I, I don't have, like, a ton more to say about Unlimited Blade Works other than, like... Yeah, me either. <laughs> I am fundamentally way more disappointed with this route than I expected to be, especially after, like, seeing the anime. I was like, oh, I like the anime well enough. I'm sure that this route will be fine. I'll, even if it's, like, not great, I'll enjoy it. Uh, and, like, this actually makes me retroactively like the anime less. Yeah, I think, I think the anime sands things down in a way that, like, you don't notice, like, the, mm -hmm. what it lacks as much. Whereas it becomes impossible to ignore when you have all that detail that the visual novel gives you. You you mean this, that the Unlimited Blade Works route might have needed some trimming and editing? <laughs> what? Kel surprise! Yeah. <laughs> it... Nasu's not always a bad writer, but this route feels badly written. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. it, it feels structured poorly. It feels written poorly. It feels ended poorly. It's a even route if individual that, scenes feel good. It is a route that is desperately looking for a reason why it should exist. Yeah. 
and the reason why it should exist is to provide Shiro's story and to also let you fuck Rin. Yeah. But and like even then it barely lets yeah, you Yeah, but like we already got Shiro's story in Fate. <laughs> we already did that. Right, but we needed Archer's version of Shiro's story. <laughs> like, like that's the wild thing is that like in the Fate route, even though it wasn't as conclusive and wasn't as centered as like a story about Shiro as in Limited Blade Works was, Fate still connected Saber's ultimate fate with Shiro's ultimate fate. They both uh-huh. came to the same realization. That was the whole point of the fate route. And so, like, the, the like, Saber having her ending in fate is also su- supposed to reflect Shiro coming to the same conclusion for his own internal internal conflict. But I guess we just need to do that over again for zero reason. Can't wait for that to happen again in Heaven's Feel. Uh, <laughs> I cannot wait to get so mad about Heaven's Feel, dude. You have no idea. Oh, I'm going to get so heated. When... Uh, here's the thing. I don't even think I'll get mad about he- if Heaven's Feel is bad. I'll just be like, yeah, I mean, it's just a bad – like that's the thing. Heaven's Feel is at a point right now where it is a load-bearing support. Yeah. If Heaven's Feel does not salvage this, I'm just going to be like, I get why people like Fate Stay Night. I think it's actively kind of – like if Heaven's Feel continues the trajectory from Fate to Unlimited Blade Work, like I'm just going to end up thinking that the game's like bad at best and kind of repugnant at worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Like, I, I am frustrated because I really want to like Fate. Yeah. I, I have been trying so hard to like Fate. And, like, the game is resisting me enjoying it and find, enjoying the parts of it that I do like at every possible time. Yeah. The, the, the consolation, I will say, is that once the franchise starts to get more out of Nasu's hands, or, or not necessarily complete, completely out of his hands, um, but once it starts to become more than just Nasu's project when more people start coming on um, to, to add their influence. Um, I think it gets more interesting. I can't wait for this motherfucker to get an editor. Holy shit. <laughs> I cannot fucking wait. Um, get this man six editors. God, yeah. Uh, God, there's something I was going to say, but I can no longer remember what it is. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, like, the real irony of, like, us going, like, I don't know why Unlimited Blade Works exists, um, is that mm-hmm. the Fate route is the only route that has not gotten its own dedicated adaptation. God, that's true. Because the because the Studio Dean one, I haven't seen the Studio Dean one, but my friend Aaron has. It's a blend, right? Yeah, it is like a weird mashup of, like, all the routes. Uh... And then they did, like, then Dean did an Unlimited Blade Works movie. And then UFO Dable did an Unlimited Blade Works series, and then three Heaven's Fields movies. So Fate is the only one that has not gotten its own adaptation, which is weird. Because, <laughs> like, it is, the, it is the one that conceivably stands on its own. I mean, it is the one that conceivably stands on its own, but I think that also lends credence to my argument that, like, yeah, there shouldn't be a Fate and Unlimited Blade Works arc. There should be one arc called Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Like, uh, you can fit... Uh, Don't you literally get the thing that I was saying you should have uh, where uh, uh, 
fucking Saber's ending from the Fate Route is just in Unlimited Blade Works, basically in uh in the UFO table version. I can't remember how they I don't remember do either. that scene. But I mean, like either way, in the visual novel, like yeah, the way the way Saber goes out, like the the speech he has at the end, like it's not all that different from the final speech she has at the end of Fate, except that, like, in, in that one, she talks about how much she loves Shiro. Yep. I... Like, that's that's the only difference. Like, uh, aside from that, like, the ultimate conclusion she comes to and the catharsis the, is, is the same. It feels very similar, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think... I think Nasu's framing as um, uh, fate as being, what was it, uh, um, self versus... Uh, yeah, let me get that interview up again, because I want to remember the exact um, uh, terminology. Is it self versus society? Okay. So, oh, oh, oneself is ideal. Okay, so uh, the, the main theme is conquering oneself. There are three storylines yes. in fate. Each has a different theme. The first one is the oneself as an ideal, which is the fate route. The second one is struggling with oneself as an ideal. The third one is the friction with real and ideal. Yeah. So, I think that oneself as ideal, yeah, that makes sense for the fate route. I think it is generous to call uh, uh, the Unlimited Blade Works route as about struggling oneself yeah, as an ideal. Because he doesn't. Like, every time there is a chance for him to struggle with oneself as an ideal, he just denies it. Like, Shiro, yeah. Shiro's just like, blah, 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 I'm not hearing you, you can't, you can't make uh, me... You're wrong! He, he does the Persona 4 shadow thing. Yeah. You're not real, you can't be! Yeah. Okay. But, like, he doesn't have the... He doesn't even have the second part of the bad Persona 4 thing, yeah. where they go, okay, I guess you're me. Yeah. He just continues to say, you're not me. At least in Persona... Or you're not real. At least in Persona, the whole... I, the whole point is that they come to a reconciliation with the parts of themselves they want to ignore. Whereas Shiro's just like, no, you're not me. I'm I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and not going to think about it that hard and just hope everything works out okay. Yeah, there's no synthesis. And Shiro's ideology is just like, whack. I... I, I I, I mean, like, this, again, this is just another root of, like, oneself as an ideal. Uh, again, like, it's the same theme as that first root. I don't think it successfully convey, conveys that core theme of struggling with oneself as an ideal. I don't know that I buy any of the struggle here as, yeah. like, a genuine like, struggle with any resolution. Like, if that's what it was supposed to be, like, if, if you want to have him come to the conclusion that what he's doing is correct, fine. But, like... He, he doesn't actually struggle with that ideal and question it and go through like a trial of the soul and, and eventually he questions it more in fate come come to a realization yeah he does that more in fate than he does in unlimited blade works that that whole scene with Kyrie at the end with the fucking other children from the orphanage yeah yeah that feels like he struggles with it more in that first route yeah that scene is way more powerful than whatever shit he does with archer uh, like, you made the metaphor too obvious, my friend. It is no longer a metaphor. It is just text, and that text is bland. I, I, I'm also, like, also fate convinces me more 
Fate is better at convincing me that Shiro will not grow up to be super fucked than Eleven Wade works does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if he does grow up super fucked, it's like a different flavor of super fucked. Yeah. Like, because I'm still not happy with Shiro's ending, but like, I, I feel like he's at least moving towards something and he's willing to grow. Yeah, it feels, and it feels, feels like weirdly he's been, calcified. Yeah, it feels like he's been placed on a, a on a different path, that he has been been through a new trauma that has tested like his own beliefs and he has come out the other side a different person than what he started. And like in Limit Blade Works, that doesn't happen. He's still the same Shiro that he was when this whole thing started. It's just now he has a girlfriend. Yeah. I do think that third theme, the friction of the real and ideal, that is the thing we've been, we we wanted this whole route. Yeah. Like that that is the thing we actually wanted. Mm-hmm. So like if Heavensfield delivers on that, there is a position for it to salvage the game for me. Uh, it's it's gonna have to deliver. <laughs> yeah. It has to. Like if if you want if you want to make that case to me, if you want to make that sell. The premise of this podcast at, from the outset was like a sincere and critical examination of the game. Like, I I wanted to talk about these games critically and take them sincerely and seriously. Yeah. Like, I, it is part of my own personal ideology that like the texts and the works that we absorb up to and including porn are valuable for examining critically about how and what they communicate yeah. to us. I, I do too. And, and like, like coming from my my own perspective on why I wanted to do this is that I feel like fate much like kingdom hearts gets, gets bandied about on the internet. Not like the, the stuff that about fate that gets really talked about on the internet is not like it's themes and it's themes and it's deeper meanings and stuff like that. But rather like fate gets brought up to say, look how crazy this franchise is. Look how many alternate universes there are. Look how complicated the magic system is. And like, yeah, those are fun, but also they're beside the point, you know? Also magic systems really not that complicated so far. I mean, I'm sure it gets more complicated later, but like, it's honestly like pretty straightforward. Yeah. But like it, it, it gets brought up like, Oh, look how wacky this series is. Um, oh yeah, I mean it doesn't really. Our ever podcast get is called "I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur." Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like they're right. It's funny. Yeah, it just rarely ever gets seriously discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I want to do that because like I I didn't I, I don't really see many other people doing that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and like I I feel like the beginning of our podcast like gives credence to the fact like we were willing to give this game so much fucking yardage like we we let it run a mile with like a yeah maybe it's doing a thing here and then uh, maybe we were giving it too much credit maybe our expectations were too high out the gate i guess but like they're the expectations i would have from any game or anything i read like i i think that's like the actual thing here is like I am treating it like I would were I reading a book. Like, because that's how I engage with visual novels, because I like Umineko. I don't know what to tell y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, it failing to live up to those standards is, like, really... or I mean, not even failing to live up to those standards. I just think it's a bad book. Like, so far, I, I think it's a very mediocre book. I think I'm. I think I'm still a little more positive on it than you. Like, d- despite a lot of the a lot 
despite me having the same a lot of the same problems with it, like I'm still mm-hmm. enjoying my time with it. I've I've still liked reading it for the most part. I'm I still don't regret I, reading through it. Oh, but I, I super don't regret reading through it. I, I think it is an interesting thing to read through. Uh, like I think it is an interesting and valuable experience to have. I am glad that we have read as far as we had, and I'm excited to read more of it and finish it out. Um. I, I think part of it too is Rin and Sater both hit harder for you than they do for me. Yeah, that's probably Whereas true. both of them, I'm like, eh, they're, they're like fine. Like the characters I latched onto are like Issei and Taiga <laughs> and Lancer yeah. who show up for like less than 5% total together. Yeah. And like that's a good four point. of that 5% is Lancer. And so like, I don't have that like, character motivation and so or character attachment and so a lot of it is just like yeah how does the actual text hold for me and so when like the actual text doesn't hold water that same way for me it falls apart a lot quicker yeah that that is true that 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 is a big reason why i'm i'm still you know feeling more positive in general on it is just because mm-hmm. oh I, I i like saber and i like rin and this gives me a lot of saber and rin uh, even if some of that mm-hmm. stuff is bad, enough of it is very good that like I all kind of evens out for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I think that's entirely like reasonable and fair. I don't. I, I fully understand like that clicking for you in that way. I have read many a bad thing and have deep affection for many a bad thing because of specific characters, despite like the work itself being bad. Like. I, I finished Homestuck. I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> I have bad taste. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> listen. I, I did too, listen, but by the yeah. by the time that pretty much a, pretty much after Hive Bent, I kept reading more out of obligation. Like, well, maybe it'll finally get back to the stuff I give a shit about. <laughs> oh, yeah, else. no, like I am like... It never really even did, now, but I, I kept like, having the hope right up to the very end. Even now, I am, like, deeply attached to both Dave and Rose um, as, like, characters. Yeah. Uh, which is explains a lot about me, I feel. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was definitely a big Rose fan. Um, but yeah, so, like, I, I, if I, I am, like, kind of in the same position I would be in with, like, Homestuck if I didn't care about those characters. Where, like, I think it is an interesting and valuable experience to have read this thing so far. It's going to have to do some legwork in its last route for me to think it is good. Yeah. Because these first two routes have been fucking rough. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, I think that'll be it for Unlimited Blade Works. Um, hey, we kept it under three hours. Yeah, we Go us. Yeah, hooray. I'm also very hungry because I have not eaten yet. Uh, oh fuck yeah let's end this podcast yeah so um next time uh we will re- be covering the uh first three days of heaven's feel uh which actually um much like uh unlimited blade works um uh, mostly starts off oh god four. damn it so it's, it's gonna be the same shit again and i'm gonna fucking die so it's gonna be days four five and six that we'll be covering We may need to talk about that. We may cover all the way up to like seven or eight if it's just the same shit. Um. Yeah. I guess. I guess we'll see. Um. Yeah. I, like, I, I will try and do four, five, and six a bit early. Um. To to see. Yeah. But if it's just the same four, five, and six from Unlimited Blade Works, like, 
I I may just push onwards and talk to you and be like, hey, can we cover like extra? Yeah. So that we're not just doing the same podcast again. Yeah, sure. If you want to do, yeah. If if, if when we go through those and and we feel it's not enough unique stuff, uh, we can do an audible. That's fine. Okay, I will talk to y'all when I read more. Then. All right. Uh, so yeah, that'll be it for this podcast. Uh, as always, remember, people die when they are killed. I remember like half a minute before. God damn it, I'm ending this podcast. <laughs>
Mm-hmm.